Check, check. We're a couple minutes late. Check, check, check. Check. Uh, I'm still right. looking. Refresh. It's live now. I hit the oh, live now button. You were, we're there. I saw. Okay. Oh, there we are. Hey, look at that. Real good. Uh oh, hold on. I'm trying to. I can tell you about my live stream. <laughs> go ahead. Go on. <laughs> well, if you go to hencam.com. Oh, I've heard about this. You've That's my wife's website that I run. And so there's two live streaming cameras 24 7 on our chickens in the backyard. Mm. All right, let me check this out. Delicious. Delicious yeah. cam. Delicious cam. <laughs> Mark, you looking good? Thank you, um, kind sir. Welcome back. Uh, you know, it's been a, a little while. We've had a little bit of a break. Dan, Dan should do the show every other year. <laughs> <laughs> you think so? Well, if, they'd, if they'd quit flying me all over the world, I could actually, you know, be here on a Thursday. So, <laughs> I think, I think I'm. I think I'm good now for a while. It's kind of weird that they, you're uh, you're so dark. Uh, well, let's see if I can change that. I got all my hue lights set to purple or pink or something. Hold on. I wasn't prepared for the camera part of it. That's right. We aren't either. Let's see. Arcade, hold on. Ooh. Uh, oh. Okay, so which of you is which? <laughs> So I'm the guy with the T-shirt on with the red logo here. Okay. And then Mark is the one with the sunglasses. Mark is Corey, uh, Corey Hart there. Yeah. Got it. Okay. Wait. That, there you are. Okay. Yep. I'm the purple one. Yeah. Purple lights in the corner. Perfect. I can't get my lights any brighter unless I change them all around here. I just see two of you, right? Just two yep. of you? Yeah. Okay. You'll, you'll probably only see two of us until Dan stops doing whatever he's doing in the dark. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Nintendo Atari Stop guy it. just joined the chat. Hey, 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 he says. <laughs> I'm going to give a, a couple more minutes. There's nine people in the chat right now, but they're just quiet. What? Nine. Mm -hmm. Nine. 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 Well, what do you think? We should, should we just get this thing going? Are you uh, watching this Man in the High Castle series? This is really good. I've not seen it. Who's the man oh. in the high castle? Well, I can't tell you that. I don't know. Top secret. That's weird. We'll show the hen cam later. Yeah. All right. Let's uh, let's rock and roll, guys. What do you think? Sure. Is, okay. This is the Few season says, season three yeah. uh, premiere, right? Yeah. There's two people watching. So. Yeah. Well, there's two people. Well, there's three people. But there's nine people watching the stream, and then there's uh, three people in the chat right now. So we got Andy. Yeah, but I'm one of the ones watching the stream, so oh. that doesn't really count. Are you doing? Don't, <laughs> do, don't, do, don't do math. Don't do math. Yeah. All right. That's six people then, right? Seven? I don't know. Four? I stopped mine, Two. so it's not me. Good. All it's right. going up. Ah. Sweet. Ten are watching now. Howdy, hey. We Howdy, can. Hey. Andy says we can start with what's in the juke. Thanks, Andy. Thanks for that permission. Hmm. All right, let's get this thing going. All right, let's do it. Wait, wait. Live from KOIR Studios in Minneapolis, Minnesota, this is Arcade Radio. 
Hello and welcome to the season three premiere of Arcade Radio. This is episode one of season three. Thanks for joining us in the Arcadosphere. Today is October 18th, 2018, and the time is now seven something, 723-ish, right? Central. And I am joined by the legendary Dan Reed. Yes, believe it, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> he is back. And also, Mr. Mark Time Runner Shields. I am your host, Mr. Adam Stevens, and today the guest host of Arcade Radio is the former GCC employee, mm, MIT dropout and graduate, creator of Super Missile Attack, Crazy Auto, and maybe something to do with Food Fight, Mr. Steve Golson. Welcome to the show. I'm glad to be here. I hope I got some of that right. Uh, mostly. <laughs> we'll talk about I'll that. I'll admit to all the good parts. <laughs> good, good, good. All right, so this is the part of the show where we usually talk about what we've been working on. So, uh, Dan, what have you been working on? Oh, uh, welcome back, by the way. Oh, thank you, thank you. It's good to be back. First of all, tell us why you were gone. Uh, well, work had me flying quite, uh, quite a lot. I have, uh, have a lot of frequent flyer miles right now because of that, so. <laughs> well, that's good. Yeah. So are you still working on that TMNT or what's going on? I, sadly, it's done. But yeah, I literally <laughs> cut the back door for it today. So oh, nice. Yeah, not 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 one of my speediest restores, but I blame that on my travels. So. Well, and the weather's been horrible in Minnesota for like the last month. Yeah, I bought a propane heater, and that's something I typically wouldn't do. That's crazy. Yeah. You know, after all, it was like August. Yeah. So... Mark, what have you been working on? Well, this weekend is the Houston Arcade Expo. If you uh, are somewhere near Texas, I suggest you visit ArcadeCenter.com and come and visit us. We've got over 300 games. I think we're actually at 318. <laughs> I am bringing a 1943. No, oh, nice. Ooh. I sold one of those. I Just... thought you were bringing a Joust. Well, I'm bringing both, the Super Joust and the... Uh, and a 1943. And by Super Joust, Joust, what do you mean? Well, it's got a J-Rock board in it, so it's got more than Joust. Bubbles. I am trying to sell it at a, for uh, $2,000, so feel free to bring your cash. Nice. And and well, uh, you're going to play in the band. Oh. Yeah, so, yeah so, go on. Oh, right. So I bought a, uh, a bass keytar. Nice. Uh, it is amazing. Uh, they were going to have me play on the keyboards, and I'm like, why am I doing... I'm only playing bass notes, so, <laughs> so I'm going going for it. The band is called Loaded Popcorn, and we're playing for one night only this Friday night. Sure. <laughs> didn't get, which one did I give you? Uh, Moon Patrol, play that music. Right, right, right. Yeah, sure you can play. Who's Kevin? I don't know. Who's the guy that's the lead singer? Oh, you mean Keith. Yeah, Keith. yeah. I was like... Keith. We all have a mortal enemy named Kevin. You're <laughs> talking to him. <laughs> all right, no. I'm gonna play a little bit of this. This is yeah, pretty... yeah. Go ahead. It's gotten even better since <laughs> we did that. <laughs> this is this is uh, a little bit of uh, pop. What's your name again? Popcorn. Loaded popcorn. Loaded popcorn. All right. Stop. That's no. So there's a little sound check there. Let's go, control. What is it called? Who's going nuts on the guitar? No other shows were hurt in writing this song, okay? Just want to let everybody know that. No other expos. Mm -hmm. I'm getting some lag here. I don't know if that's going to go. Getting close. (laughs) I don't know. 
I, seriously, like YouTube just totally gave up on me right now. Me and the archangel <laughs> crying right now. They might have a crying face right now. All right, I would like to have Mark the key bass. Key bass. Start key off. Bass. There you go. That's a little Moon Patrol, boys. That's your, that's that's our Mark right there. Alright, I'm just gonna play a clip of it. So that's good. That, that's, that sounds awesome. I can't wait to hear the the, the, the studio version. Alright, way to go, Adam. Now we're gonna have copyright problems. I know. Steve, how you doing? I think he's I'm me. doing okay, other than being, you know, have a cold. That's uh, terrible. I'm doing great. Uh, it's, so Glad to be here. Are you working on anything in the hobby today? I mean, I, last year at this time, you were at the Portland Expo, weren't you? Uh, No. Um, two years ago, maybe? Two years ago, okay. maybe? There you go. It was, yeah, it was a couple years ago. Cool. So in Portland. you have like uh, you. I know you have a little collection yourself. Are you working on any any games? Are you working on anything that's arcade related right now, or are you just working? I'm just working. Non non game related. So um, sad. I I try to keep my own games operating, and that's about the closest I get. Yeah, I kind of I'm in that boat right now. Yeah, yeah. So, so um, why don't you just give us a quick rundown of the games you have uh, you do have. Uh, okay. The first one I bought long ago. So, so, so I started buying these when, when GCC was happening. So this is, oh my the, God. you know, early eighties, right? <laughs> That's awesome. Um, and we would go to, um, the, um, auctions. There were auctions held that all the local operators would go to and people would sell these are, these are, these are route guys who ran routes or guys who owned arcades. And they would sell their extra games, and they would buy other games. So this was this was not home collectors. These were guys in the business, right? Sure. And uh, um, the first one I got was an Asteroids, and it, it was in really mint condition because um, actually, I guess I, maybe I bought that from a friend. I'm trying to remember now. It was so long ago, uh, but that was in really the cabinet, just in beautiful condition. So I bought. Uh, Missile Command. Uh, no, I bought. I'm sorry. I bought Asteroids, and then pretty quickly I bought a Ms. Pac-Man um, at auction, oh. and it also was in really good uh, uh, cosmetic shape. So I was happy to have uh, to to have that. When did so you I, get that I guess one? I've had those two the longest. When did you get Ms. Pac? Back in eighty, eighty or eighty two, eighty one ish. Uh, eighty three maybe. Probably eighty three. Sure. Yeah, something like that. It was it was it was not the same year it came out. I think it might have been eighty three, eighty four. So right. at yeah. that point, people were starting to get rid of them. Yeah. Um, so, um, but uh, but yeah, so I'm happy to have that. Um, let's see, what else did I pick up? Oh, and I got a Robotron early on as well. Really? Um, got the Robotron in eighty four, I think. I still have the receipt. Um, I bought, I bought it from, uh, one of the, um, uh, uh, one of the companies that ran arcade routes. And so they were getting rid of it and I got it from them. Um, um, oh, the other thing I got early on was uh, Paragon pinball game. Oh, cool. Uh, 
from my friend Tom Westberg, um, who was at GCC, and actually he had worked at Atari out in California. Um, that's a fun story that he will tell. Nice, um, nice. But he had a Paragon because he worked for one of the local um, uh, route operators and doing maintenance and whatnot. And they had a bunch of Paragons. And so he put together one that was beautiful. He got the best play field and the best back glass and put it all together. And he had this Paragon game um, that he owned. But then he was moving to California, and so he didn't want to take it, and he sold it to me. So that was 85, something like that. So anyway, so that was, that was sort of the beginning of my collection. And since then, what do I have now? I've got... Um, um, Stargate, sweet Missile Command, nice Junior Pac-Man, Food oh, Fight, Junior Pac-Man is so good. Um, uh, I have? oh, I got a uh, Space Invaders, sweet, um, which actually works. It actually sort of works when you power it up, <laughs> but it it needs it needs some tender loving care. <laughs> um, but it it comes up enough to actually play it, which is pretty astonishing. So. So, uh, just a quick aside here, I guess. Uh, Junior Pac-Man, was that a GCC game? Uh, yes. Yes, that's I, a fun story there. We should talk yeah. about that in a little bit, because I really sure. I love that game, and I know I know uh, that may have been sort of the last straw for Namco. I'm not really sure, but they, they got a little uptight about things getting produced by Bally and not by them. Hmm. As at least I, as I understand it, you you may correct me. I'm not sure. No, that's that's uh, that. Yeah, there was there was some unhappiness uh, going around. Yeah. <laughs> um, but um, they pretty much all settled our differences in, you know, by '84. Sure. Um, They're and, making all uh, the money anyway. At that anyway. point, all everything was dead, right? Right. The, ar- the arcade business was dead, uh-huh. and so That's it was so like, sad. okay, let's settle up our differences, and then <laughs> that'll be that. And uh, so. well, you guys, you guys really try to keep it going. So, well, you know, um, I've been working on a few things. Dan asked me about my journey. Uh, it's back on track. I uh, did some bondo work yesterday. I've got some sanding to do in the next uh, couple of days, the next week, while we still have another a, a few warm days left in Minnesota. And I by warm, I mean like above fifty. So, um, and then um, I uh, I bought a cabaret DK and a cocktail crazy climber over the break. Um, the cabaret DK is probably going to end up uh, in a trade for an Omega race. Uh, upright, which I've been really wanting, so I'm super excited about that. Uh, and we'll, we'll, we're going to have uh, Steve uh, Barbie on uh, next week, or not next week, but the next episode. So two weeks from today, Grinkfest uh, six uh, post mortem. So that'll be fun because uh, m- both Mark and I were there. We won't talk a little, you know, too much about that today, but we had a blast. Did you have a blast, Mark? I would I would describe it as a blast. Yeah, I had not? a great time. I was really thankful I got to hang out with you guys. Thanks for not kicking me out of your little friends group because I was been very lonely. So anyway, um, no, you were fine. Uh, Retro USB uh, has this thing called the AVS. I'm probably not going to talk about that a whole lot, but um, it's been out for a few years. I finally got one. Um, I highly recommend it. It's a FPGA Nintendo that they make. Um, so. Uh, I've been playing with that for the last couple of days. Super stoked about it. Wait, what? An FPGA, like 
has Donkey Kong, Donkey Kong Jr., that kind of stuff on it? No, it's a, a Nintendo Entertainment System that's been FPGA'd. So it's not not, oh, like, not like the Retron NES. or, or yeah, yeah, it's an NES. So it's not like the Retron or any of the oh. emulated consoles that came out after they lost their and the patent went up. But this thing is actually legit. Plays every single cartridge you could ever want on the Nintendo Entertainment System. So I'm super st- excited about it because I can run every cartridge I have on it. It plays. I mean, both- can't you do that? Can't you just hack the NES Mini? Uh, it, it, that runs emulation on an ARM processor. Yep. So it's not FPGA. Good. FPGA is like I mean it's like legitimate Nintendo hardware. There's no lag. There's no it, you, you wouldn't know you're not playing on a Nintendo if they hit it behind a curtain. So I'll talk about that later though. That's that's not really what we're we're here to talk about this week. We uh you know this this is a sad segment that we've you know we've been missing Dan for a long time. <laughs> You know, uh, this, this, you know, so we really, we're looking forward to, you know, this next segment. I think, I think, uh, we should roll here right now with, you know, it's the negative news with Dan Reed. That's, that's what we've been waiting to hear, right? Wow. (laughs) Jeez. (laughs) I'm not your father. Jeez. All right. Give us the lowdown. What's happening? The Halcyon. Are you guys uh, familiar with it? Yes. I snorted it. What? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. Tell, so this, us, uh, tell us about it. I don't know. It's being. It's kind of in the news, but it's uh, being touted as the rarest console ever. Adam, I'm sure you have some thoughts on this, but uh, <laughs> the guy who developed it, Rick Dyer, he also uh, was behind the creation of Dragon's Lair, Space Ace, Chime Traveler. Um, in his infinite wisdom, he decided he was going to branch off and start this company called RDI. What does that stand for? Well, I think you can figure it out. Rick, Rick Dyer, Dyer Industries? Industries? Probably, yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, he got some people excited about his LaserDisc home console, including Merv Griffin. <laughs> Merv that Griffin! Did, what? Does that date the thing or what? <laughs> so it was supposed to be the console of the future, originally designed to work um, I don't know what the RCA capacitance disk system. Oh, so that was there. That was previous to LaserDisc. Steve, yeah. Steve, you remember the capacitance disk system? Uh, from RCA, yes. So it, yeah, it ran on a it needle. Was, uh, I can tell you all about that. Oh yeah, yeah tell, really? tell us. Oh yeah. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. Go ahead. Uh, so. Uh, so 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 Philips and Philips developed the LaserDisc system, which was the big, humongous, you know, twelve-inch, fifteen-inch, or whatever disc. Yep, twelve-inch. Yeah. Um, with uh, and that was the first LaserDisc player, and um, but then RCA came up with this idea for how to do one that was cheaper because the LaserDiscs were expensive things, right? Oh, yeah. um, and this is even before there's really VCRs. Okay. So, so this is how you're going to watch movies at home. Yeah, right? yeah. Um, and so RCA came up with this thing that they called uh, CED, Capacitive Electronic yes. Disc. Something. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it basically was a uh, vinyl with grooves. Uh-huh. All right. So, so as um, I tiny, tiny little groove. So I as I understand and, it, there was a disc inside a cartridge, and you would right. you would like it was like a twelve right. inch cartridge, and you would slide this big disc into the machine, and there's yes. a, and there's uh-huh. a needle in there, right? 
I have one. You want me to go get it for you? Oh my god, um, that's hilarious! Yeah. No way. Yeah, well, you're not the on reason, camera. The reason is because at GCC, when we were developing the 7800 for Atari, we developed it with a video disc interface, and it was going to connect to the RCA um, video disc system. Okay. Oh, funny. This is okay. hilarious because wow. I I picked this news article not knowing that you had any connection to it at all. Oh yeah. Yeah. So we, we were, when we were working on 7,800, we, there's a little expansion port on the side to talk to the video disc player and to, to the, the, the fancy word was something called Genlock because you had to synchronize the vertical sync of the video disc player with the vertical sync coming out of the 7800. That and is this, nuts. then you could do Dragon's Lair sort of stuff, right? Yeah, you've got yeah. this cool background, and then you've got the computer graphics on top of it. You guys were working at innovation. Holy crap. Oh, that, yeah. was more, that was more Firefox, right? I think Dragon's Lair was purely Laserdisc. Oh, yes, you're right. You're right. Yeah, Firefox yeah. had uh, the, was the one with Mach the, uh, 3 and Firefox, yeah. that stuff, yeah. That's cool, man. That's really well, cool. Uh, we, had a, we had an arcade uh, project going as well, uh, a game called Laser Rail, uh-huh. um, but that was going to be uh, Laserdisc. Interesting. Um, and that's a fascinating story, Laser well, Rail. So, the, fir- the first capacitance uh, anyway. disc that I ever saw was... Uh, Romancing the Stone. Yeah. Wow. They had one of those. Yeah, you could buy. You could. You could buy the players. They were out, man. Hmm. They didn't last very long, but I've never uh, seen them. Yeah. Uh, actually, uh, I think one of my buddies up the street has one. His name is Matt, um, and he's he's got a. I think just like you, Steve, he, he happens to have a player. Do you do you ever dig that thing out? Uh, I do not. Um, but I know right where it is. And, you uh, should, you should try it out. it all up and, and uh, um, find a good home for it. What so. you say? Send it over to me. I'll play with it. That's awesome. Or, put, <laughs> or just put it on eBay, or put it on eBay, Steve, because uh, this, this jackass is putting it on right now for $30,000, although he's 30. uh, lowered yeah. his presale down to $30,000. Oh, yeah. The Halcyon? And I've got discs for it, too. Yeah, wow. that's awesome. That's, wow. Yeah. So, yeah. On, in the same note, I just learned about something else the other day, too. There's actually a company out there right now that if you want to, you can get a video disc imprinted on a like a record. And really? you can actually do it right now. So if you wanted to take a recording, you can send them this recording and they will actually put it on a vinyl disc wow. for you. And then you buy this uh, intermediary uh, I don't know. It's 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 like some sort of interface, and you hook it up to your TV and play it on your record player, and you can actually get video, like super low quality video from this record that they'll press for you. That's terrible. Wow, sounds terrible. I yeah. I used to have a, a like a video camera that used cassette tapes. That was awesome. Hmm. Pixel Vision, I think. Pixel Two Thousand. Did, did have you heard of that? Made by Fisher. Yeah, Price. yeah, yeah, yeah. It is, is a cassette record. Yeah, that thing is yeah, awesome. Analog think, video. Good times. I that thing is that. horrid. It's horrid. There was a. There was a. Um, using it, but. Um, okay, here's here's a retro story that sure. actually ties in with GCC. All right. Cool. Um, back in the early '80s, um, if you wanted a silicon video sensor, they were outrageously expensive. All right. But there was this company called Micron Technologies that made DRAMs. 
Yeah. And this company in, in Idaho, they, they actually still exist, Micron, right? You can buy DRAM that says Micron on it. Sure. And yeah. what Micron figured out <clears throat> was that their DRAM was designed in such a way that it was sensitive to light. And if you put a window on top of the DRAM package, you could use it as a sensor, a really, really cheap silicon sensor. Oh, all right. And really low res, but it would but it would work. And basically, you just read it like DRAM because it's a DRAM, right? Um, and uh, uh, we actually were working on that at GCC. We had a product called um, uh, Intergalactic Patroller, and it was going to be a remote control car that had video. And so we had one of these. One of these was the, one of the ideas for having the, the video sensor for it because it was so low cost. Um, That's crazy. So, yeah, I may have one of those kicking around somewhere too. I don't know. There, there was a big Micron office here in Minneapolis too. I had friends that worked there. So. Yeah, I mean, they're, they were, they're huge. They were like the last American memory company that, that survived. Yeah. And it, now they still survive in, in name. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, uh, after various mergers and acquisitions and things. But back then, so they had this product that uh, was a... Uh, they make crucial a, a memory. DRAM optical sensor. Oh, yeah, DRAM optical sensor. That's awesome. See, I'm just a font of old guy knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, that's what we're counting on. I mean, and the best thing is, you have no clue whether I'm making it up as I go along. <laughs> Sam, I'm, I am doing some Wikipedia searching. Are we, are we being trolled right I'm now? I'm totally boys? on the Wikipedia right now, out. too. Yeah, if you could just make up one really big, you know, fat, you know, fake thing. Fake news? Awesome. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll try and sneak in some fake news here. We'll see. Yeah. All right. Other, uh, oh other arcade news here. 1,100 new arcade games have been added to the Internet Archive for your uh, entertainment. So if sweet. that is your jam, what? I just said sweet. Oh, I thought you said what? Yeah, so if you're uh, wanting to go back and play some titles from the 80s and 90s, just head on over to the Internet Archive. What kind of, what kind of games do they have on there? Moonwalker. Oh, I love Nark, oh. Jungle King. Really? Ah, uh, uh, Gauntlet Dark Legacy. Uh, That's scary. Uh, like that. <laughs> Archive.org, ladies and gentlemen. I heard, and I heard you could play Eek also, which is kind of rare. Uh, I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. Anyway, that's awesome. Look it up. And uh, moving along real quick here, uh, Mark, you want to talk a little bit about the Houston Expo there, there pal? tomorrow it, there's a whole article about it it's great <laughs> tell us about yeah, it it's funny that, well since you're gonna you be know, a, one of the, you know, there <laughs> since i'll be there it's funny they they call it the houston area arcade group yeah um yeah hag. Hag, i don't like is, i don't like it hag so, is a terrible name yeah unless you're but playing anyway, popeye that, those are all my buddies and yeah. they're holding their 17th annual arcade expo uh starting on october 19th and 20th this Friday and Saturday at the Houston Marriott West Chase. That's tomorrow. Is, yeah, yeah. Well, tonight I'm gonna go up there with my like an aforementioned super joust, mm. and then drink a, a few burrs with them. <laughs> Sands Marquee. Thanks, Rich. Oh Sands Marquee. Although I know, I know some guy that is gonna this guy Gary, um, who my friend Aaron is a na- 
I wonder if Gary will ever listen to this. You know what? I probably hold that back. It's <laughs> um, <laughs> a little bit too much information. Wow. Gary, no, there, he likes Gary. Oh. But he, there's a different thing. I can't talk about it. I would love to. You know, will they ever listen to this? I don't know. Anyway, um, <laughs> so there's going to be tournaments. There's going to be events, music, um, you know, with the, the aforementioned guitar, 300 games, blah, 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 blah. Show up. Bring money. Well, that just sounds great. Yeah. That does sound great. And then uh, one more thing I want to point out to everybody. Oh, go ahead, Mark. Yeah, yeah go ahead. No, because it's tough because I just was at Grinker's last weekend, and now I have to do this. And... Anniversary with with the wifey. So. Oh, yeah. yeah. All right. A lot of stuff. I'm sorry. Did you have yeah, something else to add for before we shut down the news? Yeah, one more thing. I just want to tell everybody here is the latest list of barcades that are opening, and uh, that just means uh, all these places will be getting paper boys. So, uh, that's <laughs> ten more paper boys you guys won't be uh, getting your hands on anytime soon. Arcade Odyssey uh, in Brooklyn, New York. Arcade Monsters in Florida. <laughs> the Quarters in Massachusetts. Oh my God! Barcade, name. The greatest name ever. Barcade, right? It's well, that's original. because you yeah. know that they own the patent or the trademark on that. Oh, right? do they really? Yep. That would be uh, quite the thing. To I own. got sued by them. Remember? Anyway. Nice. Go They're on. in Jersey. Wow. Yep. And then uh, Melbourne, Australia. Nice. Brewing company. Great. It's like and, uh, six sixteen bar in New York. So it's like. 18 barcades open this week. That's awesome. Yeah, it's 18 less paper boys in the world. There you go, ladies and gentlemen. Right. Your arcade Dang news. It. Over to you, Mark. Back in 82, I used to be able to throw a pigskin a quarter mile. Back, back to the, to the cave, cave with, with Time Runner. Why are things so heavy in the future? Is there a problem with the Earth's gravitational pull? Welcome to Back to the K. Don't hit your head on that DeLorean door when you get out because everybody does. Ouch. Let's talk about technology news. Yeah, I know. It always happens. I usually let it happen because I think it's <laughs> hilarious. <laughs> After they hit their head, I'm like, watch out for the door. <laughs> anyway, other than uh, Miss Pac-Man coming out, uh, you know, this is uh, the date that we're picking, February 13th, 1982. Uh, let's talk about what else was going on. It, Atari released the... I don't know why they call it this. This is what somebody put on Wikipedia. Early survival horror game. <laughs> on the 2600, not possible. Yes. Haunted, Haunted House. I love that game. I know, me too, but I wouldn't call it a survival horror game. That's weird. I do. It was scary. I was I was scared when I was a kid playing yeah. that. So, th- so that game written by James Andreessen, uh, published by Atari in February. Uh, the player, represented by only a pair of eyes, must navigate the Haunted Mansion of the late Zachary Graves to recover three pieces of an urn. Um, It's been identified as one of the earliest examples of the survival horror genre by Game Spy magazine, which I have never read. What do you think of that? uh, I love uh, it. I think Haunted House would have been better if it had been like a full-blown arcade game, but this is one written specifically for the console. That's kind of funny. I mean, isn't really every arcade game or every Atari game a survival game? Let's be honest here. Hey, you're trying not to die, right? Right. Like, Adventure exactly. is a early survival <laughs> horror game, yeah, those, technically. Those chickens are always trying to kill you. Hmm. Okay, so also on this date at the box office, audiences could not get enough of Catherine Hepburn saying, You old poo! 
And that kid talking about sucking face while on the dock as Grandpa Fonda pondered how cheap gasoline used to be. That's right. On Golden Pond continued its multi-week triumph in the box office, most likely disturbing the arcade lives of many students who were dragged to the cinema by unrepentant parents yearning for another hit of Fonda before he kicked the bucket. Wow. Everybody here remember on Golden Pond? I don't know. Was, was that uh, was there room for that in, within anybody's lives, or was it? What did you do? I I think I watched it on video first. Never saw it. I don't think I've ever seen it. Yeah. Either. I, I remember it, but I never saw it. You old. Yeah. Yeah. I was a big cinemaphile at the time, but. Um, well, if you weren't into the cinema, there was the TV, and the best thing on February 13th, 1982, which, in my opinion, uh, was Fantasy Island, always a good go-to TV show. Okay, I, um, I have to interject here. They just announced a Fantasy Island movie. No way. Yes. They use, yeah, they the biopic, right? Yeah, I'm Ricardo Montalban and uh, whoever that little short guy was. The play. <laughs> Hervé. Tattoo. Hervé Valachez. Yes. Yeah, oh, yeah it's a biopic a about him. actor. Right, it's it's a it's a, it's a biopic about Hervé. Uh, Hervé Valachez. I don't exactly. know. I think I saw it on CNN I when I was flying by the I news article. I think Mr. Rourke was a hologram, and Hervé was pulling all the cor- uh, all of the wires. But um, so hey, tonight's episode it was a brand new episode. It was called the Challenge slash a genie named Joe, and uh, the t- you know because you know they always did like two different you know things sure. that were going on at the same time. They switched back and forth. So some guy, a wealthy businessman named Douglas Picard, no relation, <laughs> was out to take. He was about to take Fantasy Island away from Mister Rourke. So I'm sure that was like a barrel of laughs. And then a florist named Rebecca Walters, you know, probably the most common name a writer can come up with in TV in 1982. She enlists the assistance of a genie to find her perfect us- husband. Mm. And I'm like, why would you use a garage door opener to find yourself, you know, Mr. Right? That doesn't make any sense. It doesn't. <laughs> Man, that's a low-key laugh. Okay, good. This is a tough audience here. <laughs> uh, Adam, uh, what's in the juke? Hello, and welcome to What's in the Juke. Wait. Okay. Oh. What? it over? <laughs> I you think more little loops at the end. That'd be great. <laughs> did it? Did it? Did it? So we have uh, some tracks to listen to. Is everybody ready? We yeah, have to- and we're gonna use the tw- the the YouTube uh, feed, not the one you see, but it's the one that a listener. You know, if you're just watching it, that's the one that you're gonna see the results on. So if something you type looks like it showed up first. That doesn't matter. We're using what we see, and and that will also be the version that is recorded. So that disclaimer is over. And uh, I just also want to point out that this first song came from Mark's personal collection. <laughs> I did not pick these songs. <laughs> I had a whole other set of songs, and then Adam was like very antsy at six eight six p.m. He's like, "Where's your shit?" And I'm like, "Oh, that's not ready yet." <laughs> oh my god! We just called that out on the air. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Dan reads here. I feel comfortable. Nice. Great. So, um, yeah, we'll just play uh, the clips like we always do. Here's number one. Here you guys go. Oh, it's a brand new season, huh? Whoa. That is not what, what the I hell is that? <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> that sounds familiar. It used to be so Are we at 
to be your lover. That's the clip. Oh, shoot me in the head now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> These are the, from the Hot 100, so... While uh-huh. I did pick Allegedly. them, they were in the you, Hot 100. You picked a good little chunk of it there that no one's going to know. Should have gone horrid. to the refrain. It's yeah. horrid. I can't imagine people are using it, but whatever. Me neither, Dan. <laughs> is it? Is it? Dan, is your is your name just Dan, or are you Daniel or Danny? Or? Well, whatever. I don't know why. I don't know. Like, what's on your birth certificate? Oh, Daniel. Did anybody get it? Nobody's gotten it yet. Nobody's got it. Wait. Wait. Andy Baldwin. Andy Baldwin with both. He got both. So Andy. Sweet. Andy gets. Full point. Yeah. He gets a full point. All right. Next track. <laughs> that's, that's easy. Everybody better know that one. <laughs> I love that. Pearl uh, programming language. Some dude was programming in front of me one day. And every time he made a, an error, that tone would t- would would go off. Andy and gets the like, title oh but does not get the artist. Steve got the Steve. artist. So, half point for Andy half point. and a half point for Steve who is in the game. Half point. Which is not my Steve. Steve no, talking? Yeah. You, you can jump in here, Steve, by the way. I'm the wrong Steve. Okay, sure. That's Steve Golson. Yeah, he could jump in, Golson. but he'll kill everyone because he's real time. All right, Such here. a cool last name. What's the background beto- behind that? Are you, um, in, you know, Norwegian? What is that? Mark, what's your thing with names tonight, pal? Ease I, up. I'm just into. Ease up. <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> what's going on? Play the next know. song. Okay. Okay, fine. <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> That's not even a. Was that a hit song? It was a was hit it? song. It was? Yes, in the Hot Shut 100 up. in February of 1982. I suppose. Miami Vice had a few hit songs. Not the A-Team. Yeah. Not Airwolf. You guys are close. Think mustache. Ooh, Ryan pulls it out. S-1500 gets a... Oh, no, not, he doesn't get a full point. He gets a half point. And Casey... Uh, who? All right. Well, who did it, guys? Who did the song? Well, no one's going to know that. Wait, fifteen hundred is the. Well, you might if you're a music nerd like me. Close, not Steve Polst. Oh my gosh, that's Steve. Steve, change the first name to Mark. I figured because he did all of them. So yeah, it's not it Steve though. Him. You got the last name correct. Mark Post. Good job. I'm gonna oh, give. Oh yeah, whatever. Okay. I'm, I'm gonna yeah. give you the last name. You know, the guest is yeah, Mike Post, and you're right, Andy. It's Mike, not Mark. So we both, me and Steve, both got it wrong. So half point. And half point. We'll give it to Steve anyway because you know he's the guest, and that's what you do. All right, next song. Here we go. Stop. Everyone will know that. that <laughs> well, why easy. do I have to stop? It was two you seconds. Know, only give, like, it was one two beat. seconds. That's plenty. That's cheating. I'm going to play that clip again because Dan was talking over it. You guys better get that. Ryan got it for the half point. And Casey's on the board with Forgenigner. Half point. (laughs) All right, next one. Is that enough, Dan? 
Wait. Yeah. Did Casey get a half point? I got to. Someone's gonna get Casey the wrong answer. They're gonna go. They're gonna go for the other guy. <laughs> Rolling. Casey got under pressure and queen. Casey gets a full point. Full point. Five point oh. All right. Next this one. One's, this uh, one's gonna throw people. All right. Tony, we know you think you were first, but you uh, you were not first. <laughs> yeah, Tony. When, when you type Tony, the script puts this puts whatever you typed immediately on the screen, but that's not what shows up in the stream. So whatever shows up in the stream is the way we do it. If you were to refresh your screen, you, whatever you typed is going to be in a different place. Yeah. Well. His yeah, it, you know we'll. I think we're gonna have to do is put our chat in the window at some point so people can see what's going on. But yeah, anyway, we'll figure that we'll out. We'll figure that out. This week we'll. This week we're just chat. whatever. All right, the, whatever the, we get in the, the stream the chat. Next, that's the next final. few are maybe a little harder. Here we go. I actually, there's a quick story. I actually walked behind this guy one time when I was at uh, Mardi Gras. Really, really. Oh yeah, it was weird. I have it on video too. Did he Tom smell Cruise good? Short? Even shorter, I think. Oh, he's he's a wee man. We got Rod Stewart. Casey's got half point. Young Turks. Ryan pulls it out for half, half point. point. Casey, half point. Ryan, half point. Wait, is Ryan on the board now for the first time? No, Ryan should have at least a point. He's had a couple. Also, he was the only one to really correctly answer David Bowie and Queen. So you should just put another half point on Ryan. All right. All right. Got it. Next one. <laughs> oh, my God. This this guy's cool. I wish I could beat him. He's so I, awesome. I, I'm going to play it one more time. <laughs> okay. A, a hint for people would be... Oh, no, no. Casey, Casey Relford got Lindsey Buckingham right out of the gate. Whoa. And, and he got I'm what? in trouble... Okay, I'm. We're gonna give that to. Uh, wow. I think we have to give half a point to Ryan though because he got the title correct. Wow. What do you think? Okay. Sure. Ryan half point. Casey half point. Half point. Yeah, because it's just point. called trouble. But you got you did Casey. You were right on it. Blammo! Oh my God! All right, all right. Next one. Wow, way yeah. too long. No, it's fine. There's, by the way, we have 18 people in the chat, including us, which is great. I'm I'm not logged in. New subscriber Brad Hill, welcome to the show. Love it. Hey, Brad. We got Brian He's... Frober. We got Steve Take. Stevie Nicks, correct. Andy Baldman, correct. That's a half point for full point. Oops, that's a full point for those two, but half point for half point. Andy Baldman and half point for half point. Steve, uh, Brian Frober. Hey, is uh, Kelsey in the chat? <laughs> yeah, we, we, we've been calling him Casey. So, um, oh. by no, the way, not Brian, because he didn't get both artists. Right, right, exactly. Right, you you got a. So he's got a half. He gets a half. Right. So you got point two five points. Or that's true. He gets a quarter of a point. I think Steve's okay. correct. Who's the other artist, you guys? Uh, I think Andy Baldwin gets that. No, or, Casey got it right. Steve Nix, Don Henley. You got it. You it Nicks. is Casey. Casey, you get a half point. Half point. And who got the the uh, the name correctly? Was it Casey also? No, it was Andy. 
So Andy got... Okay, I already, already gave him this. his. Okay, great. So wait, we're taking it away from Brian? Oh, I'm sorry, Brian. All right. Yeah. Let's everybody get in a fight. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know what? What are they saying exactly? <laughs> nobody says that. Begin. And nobody spelled Lindsay Buckingham correctly. Nope, it's with an E. Well, actually, Steve, you got it right. Yes. <laughs> Dude, there's a new Smackdown. episode of Riverdale on Hulu right now. <laughs> I love it. Okay. Yeah. Uh, next song. That, this... that was a low point for Don Henley, by the way. What a dumb song. He... But Stevie Nicks, <laughs> he probably just wanted to get close to her because she was super hot. I yeah. did miss Dan until a minute ago. Okay, so um, uh, this song is Dan's favorite song. What? <laughs> <laughs> Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, apparently, you sound like 34K. Who? Yes. You. No, I don't. I don't. Oh, uh, Casey nailed it. Casey got Birdie Higgin, Higgins and Key Largo. Wow. Holy crap. That's, that's a one hit wonder, too. Good, good job. Wow. Let's play a little more of that. I'm glad. Dan, do you want to dance? <laughs> I love Casey. Bam, blammo, blammo. <laughs> By the way, uh, before we do the last song tonight, uh, last year's winners uh, are going to receive T-shirts. Real T-shirts, not just pictures of T-shirts. Right. I had a little problem with the printing company, but uh, they uh, they did come in. And so here's what they look like. All right. I'm holding them up. Can you see them okay? How do they look? Yeah. You get you get a choice of small or petite. Those are your two options for shirts. Right. So those are the t-shirts. Uh, they came in actually today. So I'll be mailing them out to uh, Randall, uh, Casey, and um, actually Frober. That other guy. Brian Frober. So we, Brian. Well, yeah, we're giving away three t-shirts for the season finale of last. All right, now here's the last clip. All right, here we go. Oh, that's still Key Largo. Here we go. That's a little bit more difficult, don't you think? I love that. I want to learn how to play that. ACDC, of course, everybody's going to get ACDC. Casey got it, though. He gets that half point, half point right out of the gate. Oh, cl let's get it up. Yep, he did the whole thing. All right, we'll give him a full, full point. point. All right, how, tally it up, Mark. What do we got going? AC kicked everybody. It was a five-point lead. Casey. I don't even think it's – yeah. Well, everybody came, else. I think Andy behind. was behind him and then Ryan. Uh, oh. Nice guy, Nice work, guys. <laughs> blammo, blammo, blam. <laughs> wow. All right, I, I absolutely love What's in the Juke, so thanks for playing along. That is uh, that is a great segment, and uh, you guys make it great by making it fun, so keep trying. Uh, and we have now, we're up to 20 people watching now. This is fantastic. If you missed What's in the Juke, play it back in a little bit. It was a super fun time. I think this I think this actually brings us to, you know, the next segment. Or no, we, we, we need to check the voicemail. We should check the voicemail. Yeah, somebody calls us. All right, let's let's check it out. Really? Thank you for calling six one two five four eight game. This is Arcade Radio. Please leave your message after the tone. Hey everybody, 
Yes, sir, buddy. Bob's Arsenal there, giving you another call. Well, it's a brand new season. I'm really pleased that you guys were able to make it for another one. You know, not like that Roseanne show where somebody <laughs> had to die for everybody to come back. I think it's like the reverse of dying. Now Dan Reed came back. It's like he undied. He's the zombie of our radio. I like that. But enough about you guys. Let's talk about me. I have a video coming out about my new invention. I call it Zarzadexa. It's awesome. You just basically ask it a question, and it answers you in pretty much English. Here, let me, let me give it a try. It's right here. Okay, let, let's start it up. Okay, Zarzadexa. What is the square root of 81? You got a phone? There's a calculator on that, you dummy. Oh, well, that's not what I was expecting it to say, huh? Zarzadexa. What's your favorite movie of all time? Hmm. Well, as long as there's bikinis and explosions, I'll pretty much watch anything. Wow, isn't that great? I don't want to take too much of your time here. I'll leave another phone call in a week. Anyways, you guys you guys have a great show. Take care of yourselves and uh, look both ways, you know, just like uh, normal people. All right. So let's check you. Oh, that was the best call ever. Well done, sir. Oh, God. Well, let's get this going here. All right. Oh, oh my God, that was good. Full position. <laughs> Prepare to qualify. Prepare to qualify. Please welcome to the show one more time, Mr. Steve Golson. Yeah! Hey guys, glad to be here. <laughs> Thanks for putting up with uh, 45 minutes of nonsense. Well, we try. We try. It seemed like a lot more than that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, it sure does. I apologize. Yeah, well, you know, we we, we appreciate you sticking with us. Uh, maybe we'll send you a mug or something. It'd be great. So, yeah. like, like this one. This, uh, T-shirt. Yeah, T-shirt. T-shirt, okay. What's your size? Your large, uh, small? Um, we have yeah, a small or petite as options. <laughs> well, we oh, only gee. have... Well, I'll send you a women's small. And... Uh, <laughs> Good luck. A, a very deep V-neck. Very. Deep. My wife could wear that one. There you go. Oh, now I gotta send you two T-shirts. Okay. No, no, no. That's all right. We'll so, work something out. Oh, well, tell us a little bit about your arcade or We already did. You kind of gave us a lowdown of like you know, you were tell describe what arcades were like when you were just about to enter MIT. How's that? Uh, so I entered MIT in 1976 okay. and there it was just beginning to get arcade games right there were pinball games and so you would go to a pinball parlor and play pinball um, but the first video game I remember was uh, Atari Tank oh yeah and there, and there was one in the basement of the student center at MIT, that's a round. Yeah. That's a round tabletop with uh, black and white, right? It was black and white. I don't recall it being round. Um, no, there was a there was a tank up here, and it, it was like on a pedestal kind of thing. I remember. Mm. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, I can't. I can't remember, but I remember playing it, and uh, we would go to the. It was one of the things to do when you were down in the uh, sure uh, down in the student center, Mark. And did, it did was you... just. It was not in a separate room. It just. It was uh, the basement of the student center. They actually had a bowling alley. Okay. Um, and it was down. 
a bowling alley in the, the bowling student alley center? area. This is uh, MIT, just right? The one game, and that was it. Oh, that's that's crazy. So, Mark, Mark, um, Mark, did we not play tank this this last weekend? Uh, not. I didn't play tank. Did I? I must have played with Aaron because there's uh, a there's a black and white tank there. It's fantastic. Gregor's Grand Palace, Eagle, Idaho. Everybody, check it out. All right, back to you. And basically, it became you know it, it became combat for the twenty six hundred, right? Yes. Yeah, vaguely. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Uh, so so that's. That's the first one I remember playing, and then um, the within a year or two, um, boy, I cannot recall um, what we played. But I the the first game that uh, so 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 Kevin Kevin Kern and Doug McRae started up their partnership to do first pinball games in the dormitories and eventually and they they started with a bunch of pinball games playboy was actually the first um and so we uh um so that was sort of the first thing i remember really playing a lot was was fire one and learning all the the uh high score um combinations that would cause the game to talk to you do you know about that no no tell us do you have a do you have a fire one you so 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 yeah, it's, it's Fire One, right? And, and so it's a it's a two player uh, submarine game, right? Oh, well, Atari, Atari had a game called Subs see half too. The screen. Okay, okay. Right, and and it's like what your submarine is doing, and so you see out of your periscope, and you're trying to kill the other guy's submarine and the other the other guy's ships and protect your own ships, and and uh, but it had um, uh, uh, high score. And so you could enter your three initials as high score. And uh, I don't know who it was that discovered it first, but there were some combinations of three letters, and it would, the machine would, would put up a message after you entered those letters. Oh, wow. That's cool. And so that got to be a really fun thing, was like finding all the combinations that would cause it to, to, uh, to talk to you. And uh, I'm trying to remember some of them. Like if you said D-O-G, then the screen would go blank and it would say Bow Wow. <laughs> no way. Yeah. That's hilarious. Yeah. And I think Cat was Meow. And, and if you said uh, G-O-D, God, it said I am honored. Ah! <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah. That's um, great. And then, and then there were certain three-letter combinations that you can imagine that it would come up and say wash your mouth. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's like Doctor yeah. Spazzo. So somebody must have a list of these of that's, all the all the combinations that's in there. It. But that was sort of fun for a while. It was like, oh, oh, what what other three letter words might possibly be programmed into the game? Speaking <laughs> about washing your mouth out, how did you get into MIT, and what was your focus? <laughs> yeah, how did I get into yes, MIT? Exactly. So, <laughs> so I, um, uh, much Not- to my parents' chagrin, so so I w- grew up in Amarillo, Texas. Sweet. Um, and uh, Texas, as today, has an, a, a wonderful state university system. <laughs> and why would you not go to one of the many universities in Texas, right? Oh, okay. University of Texas, or Texas A&M, yep. or Texas Tech, Those or are sure. all the state universities. What, what, and if you want, or, yeah. or you want to go to a private school, fine. You go to Rice, you go to Baylor, you go to you know, TCU. There's so many. Yeah. And, um, and basically, and, and Rice was sort of the, 
obvious choice for me because it was a, you know, it's where all the nerds went, right? Yes. So if you were a math science guy, you would apply to Rice and down in Houston. And I did, and I applied to Rice, and I went down and visited, and I was like, yeah, okay, this is, this is kind of cool. And I certainly knew about MIT, but I hadn't really thought about it until I got one of the mailers, right? You're, you're junior, senior in high school, and you start getting all these mailings from, from, from all the different colleges. And I got the MIT one, and of course I knew MIT, and I read through it, and I said, oh, this is cool. I, I like this school. I'm going to apply here. And um, uh, I interviewed with uh, an alumnus um, up there in the panhandle of Texas, and he said, yeah, I haven't talked to anybody in a few years. Um, so nobody had been applying from up there. But I applied, and I got in. That's awesome. And, and, uh, and I said, that's where I want to go. And, and uh, um, I never visited. I had never been to MIT. I'd never been to New England. Interesting. Until I flew in. In, in August or September so you of were, my freshman year. You were accepted, and then you, you actually ended up just flying in and for the first time and seeing. You, you didn't actually go out there to, to the... Correct. Yeah, I never, never visited. So, and, uh, so I flew in, and uh, um, my first uh, experience of Boston traffic. Um, uh, so they had, they had students who were driving. So the freshmen were flying in, right? Yeah, and they they had students who would meet you there. The little MIT sign. They would meet you, and you'd jump into a car, one of some student's car, and they would drive you to the campus, right? Mm-hmm. And um, and I remember it was a it was a hatchback, and there and all the seats filled up, and I had to lie on my back <laughs> in the hatchback, looking straight up through the back window. Oh my god! And, and oh. that was my introduction to Boston traffic. Oh, good yeah. grief! And yeah. Uh, yeah, and it only got worse from there. It only got worse from there. Well, yeah. until the yeah. dig. But I and and, exactly. and I so I started out, and I was my dad had worked in the oil industry. He was a, a geophysicist, uh, oil exploration guy, and I thought that was kind of interesting. And so I sort of followed in his footsteps and uh, started taking uh, earth science classes. That's awesome. And uh, that's what I was going to do. Earth science. That's hilarious. Now yeah. I have a tangential. Th- story to that but i'm not going to bring that up but i would like you to continue on with the uh you know so you met a bunch of guys at mit that would would become gcc can you tell us what yes. gcc means and who you met and and how you came to be a company so um gcc stands uh for general computer company and um it started up in 1981 um, and the name came about because we could not think of a better name. <laughs> we were all sitting around. What name? We got to have a name. Oh, I don't know. General Computer. And, and why did you? And, do, why did you think you needed a name? Like, what was? What had you done that made you think? Okay, so we, we so got to figure me, out. So let me back up. Okay. Let me back up. All yeah. right. So, so I come into. So the way MIT works, or the way it worked back then, and sort of works now, is you show up. Um, freshmen show up for a. Uh, multi-day, they call it, uh, uh, back then they call it RO week, Residence Orientation Week. And you visit all the different frats and dorms and you decide where you want to live. And um, they have parties and visits and you've read up on the different things and you say, and you, you fill out a preference. Well, first of all, if one of the frats likes you, 
and then they, they might rush you, right? They might say, hey, come, come live with us in this frat so you can do that. And if not, uh, or if you don't want to, you, the various dorms, which all have very different styles and personalities, um, and you would rank them. And you would say, this dorm is my first choice, second choice, third choice. And being MIT, of course, they pour it all into a computer, and then they say, <laughs> uh, here's what you're assigned to. And most people get their first choice, pretty much, is how it works out. So, um, so I picked a, a McGregor Dormitory, and I got in. Nice. And, um, that's, and so that's where I lived. And the McGregor was set up, back then it was all male. Now it's, 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 it's mixed, but it was all wow. male. And it was set up as, uh, as suites of single rooms. They were really small rooms, but you knew you were going to get a single room if you were in McGregor. And uh, the suites were either six or eight uh, uh, students, and they had a little lounge, and they had their own bath, shared bathroom, and, uh, and, and that's how it was organized. And then a, six or so suites would be combined into a bigger living group that was called an entry. So that's the basics of, of McGregor House. And so the, the suite I was in, um, over the next couple years, new students moved in, and Kevin and Doug were two of the students who came into our Kevin, suite. Doug McCray, Kevin and Curran, Kevin, okay. and Doug McCray, and they were a year behind me. So in the fall of 77, is that right? They were, yeah, one year behind me. So fall of 77, they came in um, and, uh, and were living. So we were all living in the same sort of group there. Actually, we had two suites that we had kind of combined we kept the fire door propped open, and so there was actually sort of 16 of us who sort of knew each other pretty well. And, uh, um, uh, and so that was, that, that was Kevin and Doug. But also um, in the same suite was John Tilko, who became part of GCC, and um, one floor down was Larry Dennison, who became part of GCC, and Chris Rode, who was a year behind Kevin and Doug. And so, all, so we were all, everybody knew each other. That's awesome. And, you know, we all lived a couple doors down from each other in the same dorm on the same floor. That's Sweet. fantastic. So yeah. you, you, uh, you know, you, you obviously had an affinity for what was going on in the, in the industry. Uh, kind of tell us how GCC got involved with rewriting Missile Command. So, so the, uh, the, you get the long story. So the long story is that we had a pinball game at in our dorm. Okay. And uh, and it was some local route operator who kept the pinball game, and you know the students would go downstairs and drop in a quarter and play games, and we would go down and play this 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 pinball game. Um, and it, how shall I put this? It fell into disrepair, <laughs> and and the students got annoyed when the when the game would wasn't working and they would sort of slam it against the wall and, sure. and, uh, uh, and abuse the game. And the arcade owner said, yeah, forget this. And he, he pulled his game out. So we did not have a pinball game in the dorm. Well, we had a big party that was coming up, a big dorm wide party that was about to happen. And, um, gee, we need a, we've got to have a pinball game. <laughs> Uh, so Doug McRae, one of his brothers, 
had an old electromechanical pinball game called Pioneer. I have that game in my basement right now. Do you have a Pioneer? It's Gottlieb, isn't it? Yeah, it Gottlieb. It's the uh, two-player version of uh, Spirit of 1976. There you go. So they had so so Doug and Doug's brother had had it when he was at college in. Did he go to Princeton, I think, or Cornell, or some some Ivy League something? Yeah. And so, so he had this, this pinball game. I don't know where he got it. Sweet. But Doug is like, oh, well, hey, I can get my brother's Pioneer, and we'll, we'll set it up here. And so Doug, who grew up in New Jersey, had his own car, which was really <laughs> cool as a freshman. We sure. were all really impressed that he had his own car <laughs> as a freshman. Do you know what kind of car was it? And, uh, it was a, uh, um, was it a Datsun 510? There you Sweet. go. Sweet. Is that go. what it was? He had nice. one of those at some point, but that might not have been his first one. I can't sure, remember sure. now. Um, um, I could drive it because I could drive a manual transmission and there nobody else go. could, so yeah. I could drive his car. Anyway, he, <laughs> and, and he drove down to New Jersey every now and then, and, and so he, he brought back this game and set it up. And so we had this pinball game, this Pioneer game, and Doug was like, well, gee, I'll, I'll just leave it here, and, and wow, hey, look, I'll make money. Um, and, and he, and Kevin, um, Kevin talked to him and said, we should do this as a business. I don't know who had the first idea, but I, it may have been Kevin uh, who pitched it to Doug. But anyway, the two of them said, oh, well, let's start up a partnership, the two of them to do pinball games in our dorm. They had Pioneer and they, they went in 50, 50 and they bought uh playboy nice um okay so they <laughs> they bought playboy and, it's a you know, solid this is state MIT, game totally DC nerd in, guys yeah, and they're yeah. like ooh, playboy nice mm-hmm. um <laughs> and so so they put that in and that was a big success and they they wow this is kind of gee what are we gonna buy next and they started getting more pinball games and then eventually they got fire one and they started getting more arcade games and then the dorm next to ours said hey can you come and do our dorm too and like, yeah okay and so they they started they eventually were at three different dorms at mit they learned how to maintain the games and run them and uh and that was their hey this is how we make money and so that was their that you know the two of them had this little partnership and and uh um uh, uh, with with pinball games and video games, and so Missile Command comes out of this whole process. That's right. So and 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 here's another trivia thing. I probably was their first employee, if you want to call it that, <laughs> because they somebody needed to be on site if there was a problem, and that sure. was one of the things that they that they brought to the table. Right? They say to the dorms, "Hey, if there's an issue, you call us because we live there." And we'll come and fix it, or take care of it, or we'll give you back your quarter, or whatever. Um, and uh, um, uh, oh, and by the way, they would give uh, five quarters for a dollar. Oh yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Get a little they would give out five quarters for a dollar if they were if they were giving you change, um, which was uh, it's like yeah okay this, but it still would work out right. Um, it's not like they're going to go and do laundry. They're you're, you're going to get the money back. So. <laughs> Um, and so, and so, uh, and, and eventually the two of them, they, uh, rented a house, 
uh, I don't know, there were three or four of them all together, I guess, and rented a house in Brookline and moved out of the dorm. And so I was the guy who stayed behind and, and was sort of the guy on site. And uh, uh, so kind of a, uh, uh, not that I got paid, but I got to play games. So um, anyway, so that's where Missile Command came about. And they had three Missile Command games by this time. Uh, which were really popular, and they had started buying these enhancement kits. I know they bought a um, Super Galaxians for their Galaxian game, right on. and replaced the ROMs in Galaxians. And so the the idea of doing these upgrades and speed ups and things to games was something that they were familiar with, just like every other arcade owner. Sure. So with Missile Command, and the Missile Command did really good at MIT. and, and uh, Until people got then, bored with it, right? Say again? Until people got bored with regular old Missile Command. Well, they got good at it. Yeah. And so the revenues went away. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, so you got bored because you're playing the game and you're... So you're either really, it, really like good that. at it for a quarter, or you just are like, I played this, I don't want to play it anymore. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So from from... Uh, from from Doug and Kevin's point of view, we don't care the reason. We just know that the uh, revenues are dropped off. Right. And so they started looking around for uh, speed-up kits. Sweet. For Missile Command. But nobody had them. But nobody had one. There was actually the, the local... So, so you've got to understand how the, the, how the arcade industry worked back then. So you had the manufacturers. You had... Um, Atari and Midway and, 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 and Williams and Gottlieb and Bally and all these manufacturers who made the games. And then there would be a local distributor, which is where you would go to buy the games and to get, get them repaired. So uh, here in New England, the, the, uh, the distributor was a company called Bally Northeast. And they, but they carried all the different lines, right? It wasn't just Bally. They carried everything. So if you, if you were going to buy one of the new arcade games, uh, you would go to Bally Northeast and you would order it. And they had all the brochures and they had all the parts and they did repairs. And so, um, so, so actually, um, somebody at Bally Northeast or somebody who knew somebody, they actually were working on a missile command speed up kit, um, but here's all they were able to figure out because they were not doing serious reverse engineering. All they were able to do was they were able to figure out the address that contained the number of cities. All right. Mm-hmm. And, and they built a piece of hardware that watched the accesses to that memory location. And when you started getting lots of cities, it would change how the game played. And so it was this big chunk of hardware to do this very simple thing. And, and it was like, that's just, guys, that's just uh-huh. dumb, right? So, um, but by this time, Doug and Kevin were like looking around like, geez, that's the sort of thing people are going to have? Well, gosh, we could do this. Why don't we build one of these? And uh, that's in springtime of 1981. That's how it got started. So, so from that, let's segue right into the Atari lawsuit. Like, how long between figuring that out and that that thing happening? So, so the the company gets started in March. We really got started spring break 
1981. So March, like the mid, mid middle of March, third week of March, something like that. Wow. Okay. Um, and at this point, um, Doug and Kevin and Larry Dennison, who's already graduated, and John Tilko, who's already graduated, uh, the four of them are renting a house in Brookline. All right off campus. So they're off campus. They've got their own house in Brookline. Um, and in the spring of 81, January of 81, I moved in, um, as well. They had an extra bedroom. And so I moved in. So there's like five of us in this house and, um, at spring break and Doug and Kevin, they get one of their missile command games and they roll it into the dining room of this house. And we start, doing the disassembly of it. They, they, they went out and bought a Genrad microprocessor emulator system and for 25 grand or whatever it cost. Um, and, uh, and we started ripping apart Missile Command. Um, and this just seemed like, what a fun thing to do. I mean, spring break, geez, we're not going to go sit on a beach. Let's tear apart this video game. And uh, uh, so it was... Doug and Kevin and me and Larry Dennison and Chris Rode, I think, and, and uh, JT, John Tilko, and um, we're doing the uh, reverse engineering of this game. And then realizing Kevin and Doug were both extremely savvy business people. And they understood that if they were going to make a product, they had to have a company. You had to have an actual corporate structure and so um and that's where the company name came about was oh what are we going to call this company and well, i don't know they call it gcc general computer and it uh, the actual date of incorporation was was it april 1st oh, april, april 1st uh, or, or, or last day or last day of march um and uh um it was uh the officers of the company were Kevin and Doug and Chris Rode. And they had to put Chris Rode in there because one of the three of them had to be a Massachusetts resident. <laughs> and Chris was the only one who was officially a Massachusetts resident. So um, there's some funny trivia for you. Um, but that's, so that's, that's how it got started. And so um, starting the end of March and then April and May, and by the end of May, uh, we were advertising our product, and we were ready to ship it. That's, That's amazing. Awesome. So, uh, Ms. Pack was released in February of '82. When yeah. was Crazy Auto born? Uh, so, um, okay. So, con continue the story a little bit. So, we finished uh, the Missile Command kit, which we called Super Missile Attack. That finishes up in first of end of May, first of June. Okay. Um, and so we start, and we did advertising, and we start getting orders, and we're making these boards and shipping them out the door. Um, and uh, pretty quickly, by mid-June mid or so, uh, we're trying to decide, well, what's the next kit we're going to do? Oh. And, uh, okay, we're done with this one. This is great. What's the next kit we should do? What, what game should we do another enhancement kit for? <laughs> and uh, we sort of looked at, well, you want a game with a really big installed base because what percentage of arcade owners are going to 
upgrade their machines. Mm-hmm. Well, the bigger universe of games, the better off you're going to be. So we were looking at games with really big builds. We looked at um, um, Asteroids really seriously. And um, Asteroids was good because it used the same processor as Missile Command, and we were already real familiar with that and could disassemble it. And so we looked at, uh, at Asteroids. And so what games could we do and what could we do to Asteroids? Um, um, and really, we were thinking of a totally new game. What totally new game could we use that would fit in this cabinet with these controls? Mm-hmm. All right. Um, and it just seemed like too much. It was it was a lot of work. The 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 hardware for asteroids was actually uh, um, pretty pretty uh, pretty slow, and it was going to be really awkward to try and to try and get that to do fancy things. So um, one of Doug's friends actually I, I can't remember who it is. Doug can tell you the story. One of his friends said, "Hey, you should look at Pac Man mm. because Pac Man was just." coming to the market in early 1981 and it was really ramping up and you could see you knew it was going to be a monster game and it was already popular in Japan you just knew it was going to be huge in the US so it's going to be a big build so that's a good thing number two if we get a kit to market we're going to get one of the problems with super missile attack was missile command was already we're going to get that out in late 1981, just as the game is peaking and just as players are starting to get frustrated and the revenues are going down. Sure. So the timing looked really good. You guys, you guys are like thinking ahead. Oh yeah. Yeah. And, and again, this is a lot of this is Kevin in early June. We're like, Oh, well let's work on, let's look on Pac-Man. And so we got a Z80 microprocessor emulator system and, uh, um, started to work on that. And I think we were working on that and, um, um, and asteroids at the same time. We were kind of playing with both of them um, before we decided, yeah, yeah, Pac-Man's the way to go and just go full bore on that one. So were you on, so you're, you're, you're in a lawsuit with Atari at this point, right? No, not yet. Okay. That didn't happen until end of July. Okay. So, so in June, June, July, we're getting all kinds of press in the industry, mm-hmm. and and companies are coming to talk to us. We had a guy from uh, um, Gottlieb who came and says, "Hey, what are you guys doing? Gee, we should work <laughs> a deal." And so, and yeah. and we we were doing some game polishing for you know somebody had the rights to a Japanese game and. Um, um, wanted to import it and it needed a little work and we said yeah we could do that for you and so so there was a, a bunch of things we had going on and we were talking to people in the industry um, about hey they're going to invest money in us or we're going to do a deal with you we're going to design a game for you mm. so it's like hey this is this is awesome and um, by mid-June we've moved from the house in Brookline to a house out in Wayland Mass and again, there's four of us living there, Kevin and myself, John Tilko, Art Ng. The four of us are living in this house. Um, Doug had just gotten married, so he lived with his wife in Wellesley. And, um, um, and we're doing the work at the house in, in Wayland. Um, so that was sort of a general computer headquarters. 
That's was crazy. there at uh, in Wayland, Mass. Um, so we started hearing about the lawsuit in um, early in in mid July, July sometime. So they must we have sent hearing. our friends at our friends at Valley Northeast were like, "Hey, Atari's upset with you, <laughs> and so you, you're about you, to get sued." Oh my and, God! Really? Yeah, yeah. So that's when we, and then the actual lawsuit filed, uh, I can't remember the dates, end of July, third week of July, something like that. And then so end of July was the first time we went in the courtroom. And, and then that through August. Um, and so that, what was, that it, what was it like to go into the courtroom when you're that age? Say that again? What was it like to go into the courtroom when you were that age? You guys were kind of flying by the seat of your pants. Oh, it was a hoot. Um, yeah. you know, <laughs> you had to put on a suit. That was the only pain. <laughs> um, but it was, you know, I mean, it was like starting up a company. What a, what a fun thing. So, yeah. um, so you weren't afraid of going you know, to jail. You were just I, like, I was supposed to graduate and yeah. I ended up not graduating. Um, wow. And, and Kevin and Doug, same sort of thing. It was like, oh, this company, what a hoot. Let's just, let's keep working on this. This is so, great fun. That's one thing that so, I was always curious about. Like a lot of, a lot of the uh, articles online and Wikipedia, you know, you know, information that talks about GCC says when you guys created Super Missile Attack and, and the money started rolling in, uh, you, you quit MIT. Did everybody quit MIT or did some people stay? What happened there? Okay, so, um, so John Tilko had already graduated. He had graduated like two years earlier with a degree in uh, Aero Astro, and he was working for GE. Okay. Um, the jet engine people. Right? Yeah, absolutely. So he was working for GE. Sure. Um, Larry Dennison graduated in 80, and he was working for, can't remember who he was working for, and Art Ng the same way. He was working. He had a real job. So the people who were students was myself and Kevin and Doug and Chris Rode, who was a year behind us. Um, if you're keeping track, I lost a year in there somewhere, but that's okay. We won't talk about that. So um, I took off a semester, and so I came back, and I was in the same year as Kevin and Doug. So 81, I should have graduated. Um, so, um, so some of us, had already graduated and had real jobs and were sort of doing this GCC thing on the, t on the side. Uh, Chris Rode um, actually kept going as a student, and I don't think he dropped out for another couple years. So, so he, again, was kind of doing it on the side. But the ones that really dropped out was me and Kevin and Doug. And um, so... Yeah, but that you was know, you guys were you, kind you of look the core, at Kevin right? And Doug as the two as the two main principles of the company, and both of them <clears> dropped out. So was it just because you were just making so much money? You're like, I'm a I'm a twenty something year old kid. I'm making a ton of money. Uh, forget college. I'm gonna I'm gonna cash in on this video game craze. Oh well, <clears throat> so so the money money was part of it, but um, it was just so much fun, you know. Yeah, and. And it was like, yeah, if this doesn't work out, I'll just go back to school next semester. <laughs> which, which you eventually right? end up going back, right? Because you have a degree. I did, yeah, eventually, years later. Yeah, well, that's yeah. fantastic. Yeah. Um, so I made have my a, parents really happy. I have a quick so, question, yeah. uh, kind of, you know. So you're being sued by Atari, but at the same time, you're still pursuing a relationship with Bally, right? Well, 
not yet. We were we were working on our our Pac-Man kit, which we called Crazy Auto, uh-huh. and our intent all along was to sell that like we had sold Super Missile Attack. Um, we were just going to sell it ourselves, and and take out an ad and market it and ship these uh, these these little boards off to arcade owners. And they'd, they'd plug them in, and it would turn Pac-Man into Crazy Auto. Now, I have a quick question about Crazy Auto. The sprite design must have been designed from the original Pac-Man side art, no? Um, that's a good question. I, I think that was certainly an inspiration. Because he, he had legs oh, on the look, side of the cabinet. You look at the side art, and you see, here's, it's got eyes, and it's got feet. And, yeah. Well, why don't we do that? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so um, that that certainly had some inspiration, but then also the um, the the monsters we did for Crazy Auto, which had the 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 feet and the antennas and the different shape. And yeah, those so, are cool. Yeah, they they remind me of those little fuzzy guys with the squiggly eyes that they sold on tops of rocks. Like, yes, you know they're free, yeah. they're awesome. Very seventies, yeah. very seventies. Yes, very very seventies. The <laughs> whole thing was very seventies. <laughs> So no, our intent was to sell it as a as a kit, like we sold Super Missile Attack, and we looked at the sort of things that Atari was complaining about, mm-hmm. uh, as far as their claims of copyright infringement and trademark infringement and all that sort of stuff. And we said, oh, well, okay, so we'll we'll tweak our our game a little bit for Pac Man to try and avoid um, those uh, uh, those arguments, sure. those those legal issues. Um, which we we were very very careful when we did missile the super missile attack yeah that we were very careful not to um, copy the Atari code well it, and so so that was something that we thought about and and tried very very much to uh, to not do we we were not going to be a pirate which was prevalent in the industry sure and the interesting thing is is that that was a problem right people people were uh, Copying Pac-Man, they were yes. bootlegging, right? And so yeah. you, you oh, it would be a, it would a complete clone ramble. of the game. Yeah, 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 a complete and, clone of the game. And maybe you would go in and search for the ASCII string in the ROM, so it no longer said Midway and it said sure. something else, or it no longer said Atari, it would say something else. But um, today it's harder. Like today, if you were to have the same uh, kit. I think you would face a, a greater set of challenges, right? Oh, absolutely. I think it would it would not be um, not be legal today. Yeah, the, yeah. The it would be clearly a derivative work. But back then, it was not clear. No, and everybody everything was new. Nobody knew. Yeah, everything how this was new. Was Copyright work. protection for games for the audiovisual presentation of a game was that protected? Nobody mm-hmm. knew. Yeah, because it had not been tested in court. And wow. so um, we looked at it and said, you know, the, the, um, the, the analogy Doug would often use is it's like, oh, here's a book. We're selling you an index to the book, and you glue it into the back of the book, right? Mm-hmm. Did we copy the book? No. no. Did we make it better? Yes, we did. <laughs> and, right? And it's like, okay, we, we edited it. We made it. We, we changed it a little bit. But all the original stuff is still there. Sure. What if we changed? We didn't yeah. copy anything. No, it's, that's and, brilliant. That's, and, and so that was, uh, um, you know, I think that was a very, very compelling argument. And it, if, if the lawsuit had continued, it's very possible we might have won. 
hmm. which would have been bad news which, for which is why they and hired all the manufacturers. Which is why they hired you. Yeah, I was going to ask yeah. you about that. Weren't, weren't you hired as a contractor for Atari? Yes. So, so um, I think that Atari, or whoever's idea it was to file the lawsuit, um, figured that, well, we're big, bad Atari, and who are the, these clowns are just going to roll over and be so afraid they're going to just die. And um, which might have worked for some people, but not for us. We were like, yeah, sure, what the hell? You know, what do we um, And we, we got an amazing attorney named Jerry Hosier. Um, he's quite a story, Jerry Hosier is. And um, Jerry um, basically thought, he, he really liked these kids. He's like, wow, these kids are going to do something cool. <laughs> and yeah, I'll, I'll help you, I'll represent you. Cool. And um, and Jerry was an extremely well-known intellectual property attorney based in Chicago. So having Jerry Hosier on our side, it was like people were like, "Wait a minute, what? How'd you get Hosier?" And uh, we said, "Well, we'll feed him three meals a day," and he's like, well, "On our side." And um, so um, he um, uh, and and so I think that the the case could very easily have gone in our favor that modifying the software would be a legal derivative work um, uh, approved by the uh, by the courts and and Atari really did not want that to happen right they do right. not want it be to be legal for anybody for the end user to modify the game and I that just scared them so that was one thing and then the second thing was they were impressed with the work we did they thought it was very professional and they, yeah. they could not really figure out how our kit worked and so they were like hey these kids they're going to keep designing games right um and they uh, I, apparently uh, doug or kevin um during one of the depositions uh one way or the other the atari um i think it might have been skip paul um said, you know, what do you guys want? Right. And they're like, well, we're going to design games. This this whole kit thing was just a way to get into the industry, and we want to design entire new games. And this this is basically at the peak of the golden age of arcade games, right? We're talking 1981, 82. 81, yeah. yeah. Late 81. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, you, you are, you're in the sweet spot. There's the, you, yeah. You're in the perfect, it's a perfect, I hate this term, but you're in the perfect storm. You you yeah. couldn't you couldn't have been in a better spot, and and there were there were other outfits like ours who were independent game developers, mm -hmm. and so this was sort of a known thing of oh here's these three guys, and I've hired them to to do a, a game for us. Sure. So outside of the the normal, um, and and so it was like the 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 Boston area was sort of a new new fertile ground for game engineers and oh here's a way in i mean mit sure. these guys know everybody at mit this right. is this is a, a great great pipeline and they respect that they respect design. that for sure yeah and so atari was like okay well we you know and and that's how the conversation got started because they basically with, dropped their lawsuit right yes yeah they're yes. like screw so this was, we're okay, gonna hire you dude, guys drop your lawsuit yeah and and uh 
and then the negotiation started for what kind of a deal was it going to be, and it's, how was it going to be structured, and how much money, and that sure. sort of thing. And so instead of like suing you and um, like out of business, they're like, we we need these kids to make us some freaking games. We're gonna we're gonna contract them. So eventually, they, you you guys came to an understanding, and that must have been Doug and you and, and the and the original GCC. You know, trio. It's Doug and Kevin. It's all Doug and Kevin. Okay, so they they negotiated all that stuff. Yeah, they're they're the business guys. It's their partnership. Okay. Right? There's a few of us who were doing engineering and and helping out and advising and whatnot, but all the business, all the money, it's all Doug and Kevin. Yeah, it's fantastic. They they saw the value, and they're like, look, we we don't want to... We don't want to stop it. It's just like everybody's loving and hugging each other and getting into the hot tub at this point. So they're like, okay... (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> That's the California people, but here in Boston, no, we're not in the hot tub. Speaking, uh, so, speaking of uh, of working for Atari, I've heard so many crazy stories about King Fuzzit as nutty as they say, or what what was going on. Um, yeah, the stories we heard were that it was it was crazy at Atari, okay. and there's lots of drugs, and <laughs> there's lots of partying. And uh, um, that was another um, attraction of GCC to the Atari management, um, and particularly Warner, right? Because Warner Communications owns Atari. Mm-hmm. And so Warner is looking at Atari, which is making oodles of money, but it's all these engineers out in California who are uh, you know, spending all their time in the hot tub and with the drugs <laughs> and, uh, um, and here are these, these kids at MIT that just seem to work all the time. Right. Um, um, and so Kevin and Doug were very aware of this and they kept us from going to California. Um, you know, he's, he's like, yeah, stay away from those Atari engineers, man. They're just poison. <laughs> um, so, and, and if, but it was a very MIT mentality of, Solve the problem. Give me an interesting puzzle, and and I want to solve it. I want to fix it, build it, and that was enough uh, 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 motivation for us. And and we had the really cool profit sharing, and we had fun parties on the weekends. And but damn, we worked really hard, and we would create product in just incredibly short period of time, which made the Warner people really happy, and it made the upper level Atari people really happy. Um, and, uh, off we went. Hmm. Hmm. So, yeah, so, so Atari, one of the Atari management asked him, how do you prevent all your engineers from doing drugs? And, <laughs> and Kevin's like, you know, it depends on who you hire and, uh, you give them interesting things to do and, and share the wealth and, uh, they'll, they'll do engineering for you. That's hilarious. Um, but it was very different, I think, than the California, um, culture. Sure. Right. Yeah. Hey, so I'm I'm I've been tasked with asking you this. I'm not 100% sure why, but I'm sure when you answer it will come to me. Sure. How, how do you solve a problem like Maria? Huh. How do you solve a problem like Maria? <laughs> um, it takes a year longer than you think. Oh no. That's That's the first thing. Well, first um, of all, maybe you should explain what Maria is. So, um so so the upshot um Excuse me. So, so the upshot of the Atari deal is Atari uh, signs a deal with us that we're going to create, they're going to pay us $50,000 a month 
for two years to create product for them. And at this point, all anybody is thinking of is arcade games. All right? We're going to write arcade games for Atari. And then we immediately start doing development on a handful of, of games. And we start hiring people. And so this is early 1982, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and we're, we're, boom, we're, we're blasted ahead. And, and your, your, uh, your uh, date from the past there, February 13th of 1982, yeah. I can tell you exactly what I was doing. All right. Cool. That tell was us. A Saturday. <laughs> and the month of February was craziness at GCC. And here's why. Because we had moved, we'd actually rented actual space in a, uh, an office building in Cambridge, very close to MIT, near Kendall Square, in what's called the Athenaeum Building at 215 First Street. And we had this basement space. Kevin and Doug negotiated all this. It was, a, it's an, it was an old warehouse manufacturing space. It was Athenaeum Press, which printed uh, greeting cards. Um, and so we had moved in in December, January of 82. So we actually, wow, it's like a real company. We've got desks and we've got our, our development stuff and we're working away. And um, at the beginning of February, um, Manny, let me think of who it was, Skip Paul and Manny Gerard, who were... Um, Skip Paul was a, a attorney, office of the council, blah blah, for Warner Communications or for Atari. I can't remember which it was. Manny uh, um, Gerard was office of the president of Warner Communications, and so they they stopped by to visit to see what we're working on. And so early February, they they walk around and they're like, oh. Like I was working on what became the Food Fight um, Playfield graphics hardware. And, oh, you know, I mean, here's what I'm working on. And, oh, here's the status of this game. And here's this game we're working on. And they just sort of walk around. Hey, it's, uh, yeah, good. All right, bye. Hey, you know, we're coming back in a month. We'll stop in and see. So we know they're coming back the beginning of March. So we start this absolute insane amount of hours during the month of February, because we want to show off for these guys, right? We want to show off what we're able to do. And so we're all, everyone is flat out working on their various projects to show off. So then 1st of March, um, Manny and, or maybe it was Ray Kassar, or uh, uh, I think it was Manny both times, but Ray Kassar and Manny and Skip Paul. And so they come back in 1st of March. And we're like all casual and relaxed. And, oh, hey, good to see you again. Hey, hey, check out what we've, uh, you know, how far along we are on this game. <laughs> they were massively impressed with how much work we were able to get done in four weeks. <laughs> they were just incredibly impressed. And that was what we were trying to do. We were trying to show because off. Because you guys weren't what doing these drugs. guys in Cambridge could do compared to the clowns out in California. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Nice. Sweet. Um, and the, uh, so they came to visit in March, and the next day uh, we flew the entire company to Disney World for vacation. Fantastic. Uh, which became so, an annual thing for GCC. How many so, employees did you have at GCC at that time? There were 17 of us that went to Disney World. Wow. That first year. Fantastic. Okay. Now, some of those were, you know, 
significant others and whatnot. But basically, it's like 17 or so is like the number of people in the company. That's cool. Wow. All right. That's funny. I think I was at Disney World that same weekend. I was <laughs> in ninth grade in a, on a band trip. <laughs> oh, it could be. It could be. <laughs> so I, I could tell you the dates, but it was like the it's like th- three or four days the first week of March. I didn't get to go to Disney World till I was like 15. Dude, I have video. <laughs> this is great. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. interesting. So they, well, let me tell you, going in your early twenties is the time to go to Disney World because uh, it's a hoot, man. Um, the early twenties. That's how old everybody was, right? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Fantastic. So it was. Uh, um, so that's so that's what we were doing, and then in March, April, sort of time frame, um, Kevin gets this call. And um, here, here's the way Kevin tells the story. Is, is, so things are happening out at Atari. They, they lost more of their 2,600 programmers. Sure. Okay? This is because well, the going... guys left to go make Activision. Right, and, and iMagic, right? So those two... Right, and then guys leave to make iMagic. And then the, there's not many left, and they're all pissed off and annoyed, the engineers are, because they're not getting a chunk of the profits and the, the, you know, so they're starting to make, yo, we're all going to walk. We're all going to get up and leave. And you're Atari. You're going to have nobody to program your cartridges. Sure. So, they, so they, so somebody at Atari or at Warner realizes, Hey, those guys in Cambridge, maybe they could do it. And okay. This is early 82, right? This is before cell phones. This is before you could reach anybody at a moment's notice. And Kevin happens to be at his, um, uh, um, here's how he can date it, because he, knew, he was at his accountants working on his taxes. So this is early April, all right? And, and Atari, somebody high up in Atari has to get a hold of Kevin. So they call Cambridge, they call GCC, and they talk to Kevin's secretary. Uh, you know, got to talk. I got to talk to Kevin right now. Where is he? Oh well, you know, he's at such and such an accountant, and they call up Kevin at his accountants. Kevin, we have to talk to you right now. Can you program twenty six hundred cartridges? And Kevin's like, Sure. Yeah, we can do anything. You know how? Well, no, Kevin. Kevin says he did some math in his head. He says, so this is sixty five hundred two processor, right? And they said, Yep. He said, How big are these cartridges? And they said, Oh, two k bytes. It's terrible for ROM. Some of them are 4K bytes. Right. And Kevin said he did this little math in his head of like, well, you know, it would take you how long to do that? He's like, oh, you know. And he came up with a number. He's like, oh, yeah, we could do it in nine weeks. Or, you know, something like that. Wow. And And they worked out a deal right then on the phone how much money we were going to get paid for each of these cartridges. All right? That is nuts. And they said, we're sending you the money today. Wow. All right? This is how panicked they were at Atari. And so Kevin... So is this like 1983? Is this 83? He gets on the phone and he calls our banker. He calls the company banker. Yeah. And says, open a new account for us. Money is coming in. Oh, my God. And this money got transferred in from Atari. Oh, my um, God. As a down payment to pay for these, like... And they had negotiated, like, seven cartridges or something for delivery by mid-September. And can you remember any of the titles or... Um, yeah, one of my presentations, I, uh, um, uh, I, I came up with the list. Um, uh, it was like, 
Rubik's Cube, which eventually became Atari Cube, sure. and Ms. Pac-Man, um, and... Uh, you guys did uh, Ms. Pac-Man for the... Combat 2, we were going to do Combat 2, and so there was this whole list of them. Okay, mm-hmm. you got to have them by mid-September, wow. because it had to be ready for Christmas. Sure. And, and we did it. We but got them done. Ms. Pac-Man and, is, like, way better than Pac-Man. It's, like... Way better. Yeah. Yeah. Well, partly, partly, there are two reasons. One is because we had more time to do it. Sure. And the big reason is we had double the ROM. Okay. Um, so, so getting permission from Atari, if you were an Atari engineer and you went to Atari management and said, I need 4K to do this game, they would turn you down because that costs more money. <laughs> right? And they said, you have to do Pac-Man in 2K or whatever it was. And, and, but all we had to do was convince Kevin and Doug, and they were both engineers. And if you went to them with an engineering uh, um, excuse, look, I need this much ROM in order to do this game, they'd go, fine. Yeah. They didn't care. We got the same payment no matter what. Right. If it costs more to Atari, who cares? Right. And they understood the big picture. So, so we could get all this stuff done and it would get thrown, you know, pushed down the throats of the Atari management because we actually, our contract was not with Atari. Our contract was with Warner. And there was some weird reason why Warner liked that better. But, but essentially this product was getting gener- developed by us, handed to Atari. Guys, go build this. Mm-hmm. So, so Ms. Pac-Man was twice as much ROM. And that was that was the big thing, and it was and it was uh, uh, Doug McRae. Who was it? Doug and Josh, Josh Littlefield. I can't remember who the, yeah. the two of them were, and they were absolute geniuses, and they figured out how to how to shoehorn it in there. That's so awesome. So so that was so that was it, and we got uh, I I I don't know. I'd have to dig into one of my presentations. I came up with the list of cartridges, but we had them done by mid September, like we promised, and Atari was just so. Absolutely nuts. gobsmacked by that. Yeah, that we were able to. Yeah, no problem. We we can make these for you. Fantastic. And they were very high quality. Let's um, uh, let's uh, switch gears a little bit. How about yeah. uh, a little food fight conversation? That's one of our favorite arcade games of yes. all time. Can you tell us a little bit more about your involvement in that? So, food fight um, was one of the games that started in early 1982, mm-hmm. and it was Jonathan Hurd. Um, who was, um, um, everybody knew everybody because they had worked together before at previous companies. And, um, so, uh, Jonathan was somebody that Kevin knew cause he had worked with him. And so Jonathan comes in and signs up as a new engineer and he, the way Jonathan tells it, he shows up and, Kevin, what do you want me to do? Kevin says, come up with a game idea. <laughs> All right. And so Jonathan sits around and he started, he's, the way Jonathan explains it, he said he started thinking about controls. What are the sort of controls you could have? And what could you do? Oh, well, if you have a joystick, you can run around. Okay, you could run around. And if you had a button, what could you, well, you could jump right? Because we had Donkey Kong. And so he started thinking about the controls, Yeah, I think, before he had the gameplay. And, oh, throw. What if you have a throw button? Mm. And you move around and you throw. What could you throw? Oh, 
oh, throw food. Okay. <laughs> and and that's that's where it came from. Oh, interesting. And it was it was Jonathan um uh figuring out how to oh, well that sounds like a fun game and it and it went from there. Um That's fantastic. The, from a hardware standpoint, um we had been using actually we had been using um Donkey Kong hardware to do development work. Mm. Um and uh, uh, because it had uh, uh, very sophisticated graphics support, the early um, Donkey Kong. Hmm. And uh, so we used that. But very quickly, us, us hardware guys, because I was the hardware guy, I wasn't a software guy, okay. started saying, well, we're going to design our own hardware. And um, what kind of graphics hardware are we going to have? Mm-hmm. And so there's two parts to the graphics. There's the play field, which is stationary. Like, imagine Pac-Man. There's the play field, which is stationary, and then there's the stamps, what everyone else called sprites, but we called them stamps because we did not know any better. That's the moving objects. Sure. And so we dreamed up this, this hardware design that had uh, 48 um, moving objects and had the play field. And I worked on the play field, and I actually had a play field that scrolled, so you could scroll it around. Uh, which was kind of cool for some gameplay, for, for some game designs. Um, used the 68000 processor because we wanted to program in a high-level language. And this was all extremely novel stuff. Uh, Atari engineers dreamed of doing this, but they could never get permission to do it because it would cost more money. Yeah. And we were like, yeah, we don't care. Right? <laughs> we're going to get a royalty no matter what. And uh, it'll be a better game and easier for us to develop. So 68000 based. And um, uh, so eventually that's what the, the Food Fight hardware uh, was our um, graphics hardware and processor um, uh, design. Uh, so 68,000 based. Um, it took my scrolling play field and stripped off the scrolling part because it didn't need it. Uh, it had a static play field, so no need for that complexity. Oh. Um, and then it had the the 16 moving objects. Uh, I'm sorry, the 48 moving objects. That's such an awesome game. Um, so that was it. And so so Jonathan started his development. Um, uh, yeah, I can't remember what hardware he started with, but but pretty quickly he was he was over onto our hardware and mm-hmm. using C. Uh, I know he started with Pascal, and that wasn't high enough performance, and he ended up with C. And so that was one of our first two games. We, that one plus Quantum, uh, which was designed by uh, oh, Betty Quantum Ryan. Oh, Quantum is so awesome. Um, so both of those were being designed in 1982 and then got to market in early 83. I can't remember which was first. One of them was first by a short amount of time. Quantum is worth so, a crap ton of money. Yeah, yeah. Quantum's an awesome game. Um, if you can get one and keep it running. Yeah, um, it's, <laughs> right. it's phenomenal. Um, I love it. So, so that was that was Betty Ryan. So one of the few women game designers Google way back Pixel then. Pixel Three. It has the most um, amazing. And the camera. the the, um, the um, uh, color vector graphics hardware was designed by Art Ing. That's fantastic. So, there you go. So that was the first two uh, arcade games. Well, Ms. Pac-Man. Right, right, right. Um, was was out at this point, um, but through Atari was uh, um, was was uh, Food Fight and Quantum, and That's, then we had a bunch more that we were working on. 
that's a wild that ride. Never made it amazing. out. We yeah. had, we have one question from the chat. Uh, Andy Bowman is asking uh, to talk yeah. about the instant replay feature in Food Fight. Oh yeah, instant replay. So so that was, um, um, I believe that was a Jonathan Hurd idea. Hmm. Uh, he dreamed. I don't think someone else suggested it. I think it was Jonathan. I might be wrong, but he coded it up and he um, uh, it was this, this cool thing. He said so he'll code in an algorithm that detects a, if you had a close call, right? If, if you got really close to being killed <laughs> and you managed not to. Oh, wow. All right. So, and he had some way of measuring that. Oh, you almost got killed or something like that. It's kind of like a free ball and, and, and a pinball machine. Yeah, and it would come up and it would say, let's see that again, instant replay. Sure. And it would play back exactly what had been, well, which is pretty straightforward because you can, um, um, the, all you have to do really is remember the motion that the, uh, um, the joystick does every 30th of a second. When the machine goes and samples the inputs, it just has to remember that and then just play the game again. That's awesome. So, it was pretty straightforward, but here's a here's a trivia early early on, um, and there was the really interesting music. So we had a, a woman named Patty Goodson, who was a professional musician, and she was one of our first employees. And she came in and she wrote this music that could be adaptively plugged together to make exactly the right length of time. To, to match the instant replay. Oh, I need an instant replay that's, you know, 14 seconds long. And, well, if you put together this measure and this measure and this measure, you get this musical snippet that's exactly the right length. Huh. All right? Very sophisticated. So that's the one difference between the game play and the instant replay, is there's this music playing in the background. Okay? Huh. Well... It turned out that when, when Jonathan first coded this up, that slight change was enough to change the timing of the gameplay to where sometimes you would get killed during the instant replay. Oh, my God. I knew that. All That's right. So, so because it was the, the, the gameplay was a little bit slower because it had to play the music. Yeah. Right? And so Jonathan had to code date it the play even though you were getting the music in the background so so that was a cool thing and i think that was the first game that did it i don't i don't know if other games have 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 done that or not but there's instant fantastic that's fantastic yeah oh he wants to know games that didn't make it out so um let's see some arcade games that we had there was a game called rock slide um, which actually got really far along, and I think it went out on test, and it did not test very well. And so that's why it never, uh, uh, never went to market. Um, and it was sort of a kind of maze-like game. If you, you're looking at the screen, it was a vertical-oriented uh, vertical game, and you start at the bottom of the screen, and, and, and you're climbing the mountain. You have to get to the top of the mountain. But there's these creatures, ogres, and whatnot, and they are throwing rocks down on you. 
And so like rock slides, you have to avoid the rocks while you're climbing up. And so that was the, the basic gameplay. So it's sort of a maze game, kind of a maze-like game. Uh, Roland Janberg's worked on that one. That's uh, any code still exists? I nah, I don't think so. <laughs> I think it's long gone. Oh, yeah. Roland might have some printouts of it. Interesting. Um, but uh, I think that one is long gone. The one that got the closest is a game called Nightmare, um, and that actually went out on test, um, and it the ROMs ended up being found at Atari years later and somebody was able to resurrect it so i know if you go out to california extreme um there's a guy out there who has a working nightmare and let me tell you what a bizarre experience it was playing that after 30 years wow and and walking and how much of that game i remembered um from playing it in the lab and it's like, wow, and there's all kinds of, of uh, um, inside jokes built into it. A lot of the names and the numbers and the uh, backgrounds and whatnot all had to do with people at GCC and the offices that we had. Um, so if you go to California Extreme, you can probably play, uh, play Nightmare. Um, so there was, there was that game. Um, um, I think the game... I think the game that I most regret that we never got out was a game called Laser Rail. And we talked about uh, um, uh, um, LaserDisc earlier. Mm -hmm. Laser Rail was going to be a LaserDisc game. Oh, cool. And here's the, 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 the premise behind Laser Rail. Well, for, if you remember uh, the early LaserDisc games, uh, they, they would pause when you had to jump right yep. and and so it was this jerky thing that you would get to a certain point and the they they had to scan to a different spot on the laser on the disc in order to do the next part of the the gameplay sure uh so by the time we were looking at this they had figured out how to um jump the uh um the laser disc players were sophisticated enough where they could jump a certain number of frames instantaneously without showing any kind of a gap. So if you were smart about how you arranged all the frames on the disc, you didn't have to play it sequentially. You could imagine you could jump five frames every time. Okay? Hmm. So now you can have five different video streams that you could jump between with with absolutely seamless uh, um, uh, um, playback, you with me? Yep. Yeah. All yep. right. So so given that capability, what kind of game could you come up with? And um, um, uh, Brad Parker worked on this, and I can't recall who else, but Brad was one of the big players on this. And the idea was what was on the laser disc was not going to be cartoons like um uh um what was the first one dragon's lair dragon's lair yeah not cartoons like dragon's lair it was going to be computer generated graphics so that when it came up on the screen it would look like it was being played back like every other arcade hmm. so and then overlaid on that was going to be stuff from the actual graphics hardware 
so you would get this incredibly sophisticated ex graphics experience, but most of it is coming off of the, the laser disc. So you do not have to generate it on the fly. Sure. Wow. And they were talking to the various movie effects people out in Hollywood who were doing the graphics for the, the movies at that time, like, like Tron and Last Starfighter and all those guys. Very cool. They were saying, hey, we need you to generate content for us. <laughs> oh, yeah, we can do this. <laughs> so this was all on, on, underway. And, and the gameplay, um, I have some, some sketches of this, um, I think, it stashed away somewhere. But the, the premise of the game is that you have landed on this planet that is long abandoned. And the, 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 um, the creatures that used to live here have abandoned this planet, and we don't know where they are. But the laser rail system still seems to be working. And this was a, imagine like a monorail that is how you would get from place to place on the surface of the planet. Cool. And so imagine three beams of light shooting out from in front of you off to the horizon. It's a little Tron-esque. Yes. So that's the laser rail. And so you're riding on one of those three beams of light. It's and like you the, could jump from one rail to the next. It's like the solar sail on Tron. Yeah, exactly. Similar sort of thing. Tron was out at this point, And so you were sort of inspired by that. And so that's, that was going to be the gameplay. So you're going to ride the laser rail and you would go from city to city and um, there would be gaps in the rail because of it was old and decrepit and you had to make sure you jumped to a rail that didn't have the gap in it and um, you would go to places and do interesting gameplay. And so that was laser rail. That sounds and, cool. Wow. Yeah, and, and imagine the background. The background is all computer-generated, amazing-looking, spacey stuff. Oh, that would have um, sold so well. Yeah, yeah, that would have been cool. And, and, and with hardware that was not terribly expensive because the graphics hardware would be like food fight quality, and then you'd have this, this uh, Laserdisc machine, wow. and off you go. It's fantastic. So, uh, so laser rail... That would have been cool. That would have been a cool game. So, yeah, that never made it. You're oh. making me sad that it never made anywhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. I know. Well, Steve, so, so gotta, that was that was Laser Rail. I got to tell um, you, man. I mean, and there there were some other there were some other games that uh, arcade games. Um, because we had, we were owned by Warner, right? Sure. So we had yeah, the yeah. entire Warner movie library to draw on <laughs> all right uh, what year is so, this at this point it's 1980 this is uh, 83 okay, right? okay. 82 yeah. 83 84 sure. we're thinking about games oh what's the number one thing that that warner communications owns oh they own the roadrunner oh let's yeah do, oh. let's do a roadrunner game of course the the protagonist in the roadrunner game has got to be the coyote right right <laughs> Yep. And the coyote always loses. So trying to come up with a game play for Roadrunner and Coyote. So that was one thing that we were looking at. But one game that got pretty far along, another thing that Warner owned was Road Warrior. Oh, oh yeah, sweet. yeah. Okay, so it's a Road Warrior game. <laughs> so it's a driving game 
and man. you're and you're in the in the Australian outback with with all the cool vehicles and the oh. stuff blowing up and the fuel everywhere and you've got to get enough fuel <laughs> and so so that was Road Warrior. They own risky business too. Did you do anything with that? <laughs> no, no, didn't yeah. think about that one. So but that was a that was a favorite movie of ours. Was Risky Business, and and one of the, you know, we're guys, right? And yeah, yeah. Not everyone, but guys, and and so people love movie quotes. Yeah, and and so that was one of the one of our favorite movie quotes was from Risky Business, which when things were not going well, <laughs> and you were just about to like throw up your hands and be like, well, looks like University of Illinois. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> I thought you were going to go with what the F. Oh, my gosh, that's no. hilarious. No, no, no. It's like, looks like University. You know, how are things going on your project? Well, looks like University of Illinois. <laughs> that bad, huh? It so. is bad. Oh, my yeah. God, that's awesome. <laughs> that is great. Yeah. Well, yeah. listen, Steve. I want to. So we s- never got the seven eight hundred. You asked about seven eight hundred. Oh yeah. Well, we, okay. Let's. So I, what I happened with seven eight hundred? So we started just wanna, doing cartridges, right? I, I got to say to you. Yeah. I I don't want to keep you, but I'm where everybody's listening. So this is great. If you want to keep going, I know you're not feeling well. But the seven eight hundred, I'm totally into this. You got to tell us. You got to tell us. I'll give you. I'll give you the quick story. The quick beginning of it. All right. Yeah. Okay. So. So, so, well, what started was in early 82, we start doing cartridges. And um, uh, so we're doing development, and, and the, the name, the, 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 the code name inside Atari was Stella. The 2600 was sure. called Stella. Yep. Um, and so, okay, we're coding for Stella. And then they said, oh, can you do 5200? Like, yeah, what the hell? Nah. And that was Pam. Okay. So we're doing cartridges for 2600. We're doing cartridges for 5200. Um, and one of the cartridges um, we did, well, well, first of all, cartridges started to run out of room, and so they started doing bank switching in the cartridges, sure. in the ROM. Yeah. Right? And so you started getting the idea of, oh, it's not just a simple ROM. You could, like, do stuff. Yeah. And, um, and, and Atari had come up with a, uh, a fancy ROM that actually had more memory in it. It had RAM. Mm. And uh, one of our designs, Dig Dug, used it. And oh. the engineer, um, uh, Ava Robin Cohen, another, another female designer early on in the, in, in the world, um, worked on, on Dig Dug for 2600 and had this cool, sophisticated hardware. So the idea of putting stuff on the cartridge slot that would enhance the gameplay was something that we had started thinking about. Oh, what can we do? And there were a bunch of these things that were starting up in the in the industry. Oh, she there was, she uh, was involved with the charger. Junior Pac-Man port. What's that? She was involved with the Junior Pac-Man port for Atari. Uh, for the, for Junior Pac-Man cartridge? Or? Yeah, for the, for the well, may, was it for the arcade or for the cartridge? May have done some work on the arcade. Um, most of that was uh, was Bruce Burns and um, uh, oh, I'm sorry, I just blanked on 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 his, uh, Tim Hoskins. Tim Hoskins and Bruce Burns were the two software so guys. I'm reading. I'm reading Pac something. Baby or Junior Pac-Man. I'm reading something that says she's credited for Junior Pac-Man, 
the CX twenty six one twenty three ROM for the twenty six hundred. Ah, okay, she yeah, she very much, very possibly she could have worked on uh, twenty six hundred. That's fantastic. Junior Pac-Man. I don't know. I, don't I, have, I have this goal but this year. She definitely worked yeah. on Dig Dug. Oh, cool, cool, cool. All right. Go um, and uh, so so we were thinking about this, and and uh, fifty two hundred had come out right. And it was not nearly as successful as Atari had planned for it to be. Mm-hmm. So it was obvious what people wanted was was um, backwards compatibility. Yeah, yeah. And so that was the first thing. Was Doug was like, "What can we do? What can we do to twenty six hundred to make it better?" A Tia Maria. Well, it wasn't Tia Maria. Eventually, well, what what it started out was oh, just. Uh, uh, TIA with with more players. Okay. Okay. So take TIA and spiff it up a little bit, and and we very quickly realized that that TIA was so primitive that trying to modify it was just a nightmare. It's like fine, fine. You want compatibility? We'll just stick a TIA on the board. Sure. And now you've got your compatibility. Yeah. So now you basically the hell we want. you're basically running a twenty six hundred on the board no matter what, right? Yes. Yep. Yes. Well, the, you know, right. The thought was it would it would operate in either of two modes. Sure. And so you could be oh well it'll it'll be a twenty six hundred. We'll put a TIA on the board. What does yep. that cost? Nothing. Yep. Exactly. And you use a sixty five hundred two processor. Fine. We're happy with that. We're mm-hmm. familiar with it. Run it faster. And so that's that's how this is uh, beginning of nineteen eighty three. And we start up and we said oh we're going to do this spiffier um, chip, this custom chip. That's going to do graphics and sound, and um, uh, that's going to be the base unit, and we'll have it done for December of '83. Um, we were we so were nuts. We the, were insane that we it, were going to do it that quickly. And there's a huge story behind this too. I mean, like, okay, so the Tia, you put the 2600 native compatibility on there, and then you invent Maria. Basically, GCC is like we're innovating, and Jack Tremiel yeah. comes along and he he buys the home. A division of Atari, right about the time you're doing this, right? So, um, so in '83, we we start really ramping up on this project, which was originally called the 3600. And so, we've got people who are still doing coin op stuff. We have people who are still doing Stella carts and doing Pam carts. And by this time, we're doing other um, uh, platforms as well, uh, particularly our, our own um, titles, like Ms. Pac-Man. We did Ms. Pac-Man for, you know, Commodore 64 and yeah. things like that. So, so 83, so, but this 3600 project starts up, and um, by the fall of 83, it, turned, it looks like this is going to be the huge thing for Atari. Atari and Warner are huge behind this. They think this is just going to be awesome. And we realize there's no way we're going to make it for December of 83, but we'll do December of 84. That's our target now. And so all through 83 and, and the beginning of 84, we're doing our chip design. We're doing 14 cartridges. We're doing all this other stuff like the high score cartridge and the, the typewriter and the computer and it's just going to be this awesome thing, and it gets announced in May of '84. Yeah, for for Christmas. Um, and uh, uh, but Atari is hemorrhaging money. 
right? right They've right. lost this insane amount of money as the crash is happening, and Warner sells them. Yep. Warner sells Atari to Jack Trammell. And, and then and it all just fell apart. Yeah, it was, that was just a mess. Uh, that 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 could be a whole show in of, of itself. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it, it's it's a huge mess, and and, yeah. and it's unfortunate because GCC was at the peak. Like you guys, there there's some underlying stories that we can't talk about right now because we're we'll go on too long. But it's like yeah, uh, Nintendo was courting Atari for distribution in the U.S. At the same time, you're building this the seventy eight hundred. Uh, yes, you know, and it's like okay. We're, you know, Atari's kind of leading them on, and there's this whole thing like, well, we have this 7800 system, we could blow them out of the water, and, uh, yeah. you know, and so we can't really, we can't distribute this, and then Nintendo's like, screw you guys, we're going home, and they, <laughs> yeah. they build Nintendo yeah. of America, and they drop the NES on the entire country, and in 1985... Yeah. 85. I mean, they right. freaking won if, the if war. Atari, I, I look back on this and like, what a missed opportunity. Yeah. If 7800 had come out in Christmas of 84, yeah. um, would have killed. Know, it would have been phenomenal. And would there ever have been an NES? It, it would have uh, been. That was as popular as it was. It's iffy, right? It would have been like, yeah, yeah, but it cost too much money and we already got the 7800. Yeah. So I think. But I, NES, you know, kudos to Nintendo because they, they realized that video games were still a. Um, uh, uh, still a big market, right? And they, everyone else was like, "Oh, well, that fad is done." They recharged. And they, away. they recharged the home market. Yeah, they, they did. Yeah, it was fantastic. Yeah. Kudos to them. But uh, but seven eight hundred coming out in fall of eighty four. Yeah, would have been absolutely phenomenal. Because when it finally came out in eighty six. Yeah, two years later, it did really well. Yeah, it did. But so, it was like okay, but also you have stale launch titles, right? Because you have like twenty launch titles that are like five six seven years old nobody wants yeah. to play that stuff anymore. yeah that's right yeah we did we had 14 we had 14 launch titles right um and some of which like um and then um you know ball blazer which wasn't quite done um pokey chip and, and uh which was absolutely phenomenal i think it's the just the best game ever it's a great game yeah yeah and it was the so, first. Anyway, so first, that's the that's the quick seventy eight hundred story. Yeah, so, the, and that was the first um, game to take advantage of the pokey. Am I right? Um, yeah, Ballblazer did. Yeah, yeah. yes. Um, it needed because it had very sophisticated sound. Well, okay, so Maria, our our custom chip for seventy eight hundred. Initially, it was going to have sound as well. So we were going to do graphics. We were going to do sound all on our custom chip. And so when you went into 7800 mode, it would be better graphics, better sound, better everything. But we ran out of time. We ran out of silicon area. And so jettisoning sound was like the first thing we did. Yeah. We got rid of sound. We said, oh, okay, fine. We'll use the crappy TIA sound. Sure. But we'll design the system in such a way that you could put a sound... Um, you could you could have a sound chip on every cartridge, right? A and more expensive. We designed a a chip called um, uh, originally we had a chip called Gumby. <laughs> okay, because you know Atari had a chip called Pokey, while ours was called Gumby. That's hilarious. Um, and then and that was for uh, our aimed at arcade games, so it was sound synthesis for arcade games. And then we said, oh well, we're gonna we're gonna do a stripped down version of Gumby. Uh, uh, called Mini Gumby, and or, or and then it just became called Mini, 
mm-hmm. and Mini was this incredibly cheap but very sophisticated sound synthesis chip that is cheap enough to go on every cartridge. So that was going to be the 7800 solution, was we had this chip called Mini. And so that's how your 7800 cartridges would have very high-quality sound. And so Ball Blazer was designed from the start. It was going to use use Mini to get very high-quality sound. Um, uh, But... It never got done. And when Ball Blazer, uh, uh, Jack Trammell contracted with one of the GCC guys to finish Ball Blazer. And, and he said, y- you have to do it. You got to come up with a, uh, an audio chip. And the only audio chip was Pokey. So that's how Pokey ended up on oh, Ball Blazer. Awesome. Oh, wow. It got coded in that way. And so that's how you get this beautiful music. And the music, that's a, that's a great story that Peter Langston who was at um, uh, um, Lucasfilm, right? That's where Ballblazer came from, came oh, from Lucasfilm, yeah, or Lucas yeah. Games. And Peter Langston, he was friends with a bunch of big-name jazz people, like Pat Metheny, <laughs> okay? He wow. used to jam with these guys. So he got all his, his um, jazz friends to write little riffs for him. And that's the music that's in Ballblazer. Amazing. It's from all these jazz artists who all gave, oh, I, I just need two measures from you. And the people who, <laughs> GCC people who looked at the source code said he listed all the names of all the people in there. Oh but nobody God. could talk about it because, of course, you cannot get all these artists. Or, right, no, you'd have to pay royalties or you'd something. You'd have to pay them royalties, yeah, right? That's, that's and messed so up. so they were like doing it for fun. And that's so, hilarious. But all the names are in there. And uh, that's the ball blazer music. So all that really cool, sophisticated music, because it, it randomly plugs together these various bits of music from all the various artists to make the, the, what seems like a, an improvisational riff going on in ball blazer. Well, I got to tell you, this has been fantastic, and I, I don't want to wrap it up, but we need to wrap it up for tonight for yeah, sure. Yeah, let's wrap it up, because I'm about to collapse. But here, hey, so. but hey <laughs> we'll I, talk can, another time. Can we do a part two with you? Because this has been fascinating. I mean, this, yeah, is, sure. this is so awesome. Uh, I really appreciate being on the show. Uh, Dan is about ready to, you know, Keel or he's got to go take care of his kid. <laughs> got to put my kid to bed. <laughs> I know how that is. Got to do it. And, and, and my youngest is 21, so. <laughs> Love it. Don't have, you don't have my problem. We have a twenty. No, not yet. I remember a, though. We have yeah. a twenty-one, a fifteen, and a sixteen, and a nineteen. So we're kind of in your boat. Okay. But I, I bet you're I, getting there. This is this has been fantastic. Thank you so much for being on the show. Sure. Uh, you know, and and we would love to have you back on again. So uh, hey, yeah, I, we'll work it out. We'll figure it out. Be happy to. And I, stay on for a couple minutes after we we sign off here. But I just gotta you know I gotta thank you again. Uh, this has been uh, the season three premiere of the Arcade Radio podcast. Guys, we will have Steve on again. Uh, this was just a fantastic uh, time tonight. Uh, it's the double R's Arcade Radio. You can find us on Facebook. You can find us on SoundCloud. You can find us on iTunes. You can find us all over the internet if you're looking. It's uh, Arcade Radio without the A at the beginning. And uh, feel free to dial in and leave a message like Bob does every week because we love that. So, uh, Steve, again, thank you for being on the show. Mark, thank you. Thank you for being hey, on the show. Let me, uh, let me, let me uh, uh, give you a, a little hint of what's to come. All right. Um, if we can figure out 
how to get me on the video, yeah, then I can show off some of my goodies here. We will do All that right. for the next. So that, you know, I've got some prototype things and whatnot, so we might be able to have stuff to show off. Well, how about a mid-season show? You come on, and we'll we'll get you uh, hooked up with a video, and we can do that because I think that'd be yeah, fantastic. Yeah, sure. Sounds good. Uh, and and we got uh, we got some good guests coming up. We got. Uh, like I said, Steve Barbie from Grinkfest. We're gonna do a postmortem next week. We got a uh, Darren from Phoenix Arcade will be on in a couple of weeks. So stay with us again. Uh, Arcade Radio. We'll talk to you soon. weird end of the show song well i usually do the bookend right right i could do that this is season season three though yeah i guess you gotta change it up dan likes this song yeah it's like i'm at an edm concert Alright, I'm gonna crash this out. Here we go.